We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Good morning, everybody. And a happy Sunday to all. <coughs> I'm Glenn Mack now along with Ray Dinger. Ray, how was the uh, walk through Rittenhouse this morning? Um, talkative. <laughs> <laughs> So our producer, Moshe, I'm working from home today. I go in sometimes, work from home sometimes, and I'm working from home today. Our producer, Moshe Kravitz, calls me at 9.52. He says, Ray's not here. Ray's not here. Um, I said, I talked to Ray this morning. He was on his way, and Moshe said, you know how it is, and we know how it is. You you walk in public, and I don't mean this in a negative way it's going to sound that. People attach themselves to you like, like a barnacle. It's like, Ray, what are the Eagles going to do about? <laughs> And Ray, for your many skills and talents, mm-hmm. which are abundant, one of them is not the ability to cut a conversation short. <laughs> uh, no, if if folks want to talk to me, I will talk to them. Uh, and that's uh, I was I was telling Mosh, this is particularly a tough time of the year for me to walk in Center City <laughs> when when NFL free agency is in play. Yeah. Uh, I I literally can't walk a block without somebody saying, "What are the Eagles going to do?" Or, yeah. You know, what do you think of Jalen Hurts? Or what do you think of Deshaun Watson? And yeah. you know, How I wind, they I wind get up this guy. Yeah, well I wind up I wind up kind of doing the show before I get to the show. Uh, you know? Hey, come on now. But I'm but I've give give me this. I have I'm always here when you start. Okay. You, I've I never been, been close, late but I get here. All of for all these years you've never been late. All right, I want to get to the Eagles in one second, but I want to start with the news that occurred yesterday when uh, the inevitable happens. The Flyers trade longtime captain Claude Giroux, longest tenured athlete in this city, one of the best ever to wear the orange and black. He goes to the Florida Panthers. In uh, what I thought was a rather underwhelming trade, it's Giroux, a couple of you know bench depth players, a future fifth round pick in return for twenty three year old. And and you don't see the air quotes I'm throwing here. Prospect Owen Tippett, maybe is a former first round pick, but he's been up and down a few times and done anything yet. Um, a 2023 third rounder and a 2024 first rounder. Oh, and by the way, the Flyers have to retain 50 percent of Giroux's salary. I don't think anybody's impressed by what they got. Uh, agree? Can we start there? Yeah, I I thought they would get more. Okay. Because he's still, I mean, he's he's still a really good player, and he's demonstrated that this year, and um, he's going to help Florida. I mean, putting him on that team, I mean, right now, if, if I had a handicap the Stanley Cup playoffs, I would make them the favorites. Yeah, their odds just got better, no question about it. And even though he's a free agent at the end of the year, and you're getting a rental, you're getting a very good rental at a very important time. 
so here's here's what it comes down to, and I, I will cite Anthony Sanfilippo, who's who's the my, usually my go-to guy when I'm trying to figure out what's actually happening. And he said this: he said Colorado made a better offer, and Boston and the Rangers were also very interested. But Giroux said, "I'm not going there. I'm only going to Florida. I have earned the right." He's got a no trade, no movement clause. He had all the leverage. He preferred to go to Florida. Uh, Chuck Fletcher, the general manager, was over a barrel. Um, Giroux's goal was not necessarily to help the Flyers. It was to go where he wanted to go. Right. And he did. So my question to you is, should we begrudge him for this? Uh, Is this uh, him not being a good guy, a good teammate, a good organization man? Or is this something that, hey, he earned the right to do it, let him do what he wants? That's kind of how I see it. I, you know, you're the prob- second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's there are probably people out there in the audience that are going to take the opposite and say, you know, he owed the Flyers more than that, and he owed the Flyers the opportunity to get the biggest return. But no, I mean, he he earned the leverage, then he had it, and there was a place that he wanted to go, and he said, "That's where I want to go." Um, you know, look, he gave this team everything he could possibly give them for more than a decade. Played a thousand games, played his butt off. Uh, over the course of time, you would say the organization probably at the end owes him more than he owes them, uh, given the, given the, what they had, what they gave, put around him to ask him to play with. I mean, he was playing with line mates that played like they were wearing boxing gloves, for God's sakes. So, I mean, I, I think at this point, um, he's in a situation where, yeah, he's got the power, and I have no problem with him saying, no, 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 no I want to go to Florida, send me to Florida. And... You know, at that point, the Flyers get what they can get. But no, that was his right, and he exercised it, and I have no problem with that. Yeah, I don't. I, you you kind of wish he'd almost faked it and said, like, yeah, look, you can tell Colorado I'm interested. Because, Ray, as you know, if there's one potential trade partner, they have the leverage. Florida knew. Once Florida knew Giroux didn't want to go anywhere else, Florida could say, like, hey, this is our offer. Right. We're not going to make it any better. What are you guys going to hold on to them? So I kind of wish Giroux had, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, sure, I'll go there. Tried to drive the offer from Florida up. But I I generally agree with you. Um, he's been in this league a long time. He, it was in his contract. You, 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 if it's in your contract, you get to exercise it. Right. And, yes, he gave this organization a lot over the years. Um, he gave them more than they gave him. I'll put it to you that way. Mm-hmm. He was well paid, but they didn't build the team around him that would have allowed him to be a Stanley Cup contender, which he now goes to a Stanley Cup contender. Um, I'm not impressed at all with the return, but what are you going to do? Uh, I know they, uh, and again, I'll cite Anthony Sanfilippo, best hockey writer in town, who said that uh, Giroux was not willing to help the Flyers unless they guaranteed they would bring him back next year, that he actually wants to come back next year. Yeah, I don't think that's out of the question. Well, okay. Uh, according to Anthony, Chuck Fletcher, Fletcher would not do that, as in guarantee. Maybe they will, but they weren't exactly – they didn't want to guarantee it. Well, how about this? Yeah. Is Chuck Fletcher going to be here? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, after after, I after not, you, not on merit, the team that he's built, I mean, yeah. he's, he's a lock to be here making that decision? I'm not so sure. No, I think Danny Briere may be your GM. Exactly year. right. Yeah, I mean that's coming. I, I just a matter of when it's coming, but I mean, who knows? Yeah, I agree. Um, so that's that, and goodbye to him. And I, I do salute him. I, I bear him no ill will for that. Uh, I know there were a lot of fans last night who were, you know, barking about how he. Come on, he should have given him. Uh, if they got more from Colorado, he should have gone to Colorado. 
not a lot of players earn the right to dictate where they want to go, and when they do, they have that right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yes, yesterday you asked the question about where does he rank among all-time flyer forwards, and you had him fourth among all-time flyer forwards. Second in all-time scoring, you know. Yeah, I know. Uh, I had him sixth, but, but I mean, we still both had him very high, sure. and he's only one other player in the history of the franchise has played more than a thousand games, and that's Bob Clark, who is, and I think probably will always be number one. But I got an email from somebody last night. Maybe, maybe they sent it to both of us. I don't know. Who said I was listening to the show today? He did the top twelve flyers of all time. He didn't mention Bernie Perrant. And I, sorry, Bernie, Bernie, I, I, yeah, I. I I wrote back and said, no, 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 no. You you probably didn't hear the entire conversation. We were discussing the, the best flyers forwards in the yeah, context yeah. Of, of the passing of Claude Giroux. So uh, anybody out there that was wondering, you know, why we didn't have you know, why we didn't have Mark Howe in there, why we didn't have Bernie Perrant in there. Um, Eric Desjardins. Eric did not make Desjardins, the yeah. I mean, it was understand that what we are ranking there of the top 10 or the top 12, I guess, we were just discussing flyer forwards, yeah. just just for the record. And he is one of the all-times, and, and I wish him well. I don't know. Me too. I, I guess I root for Florida now as much as, as I care. It's All right, for me I to do. I mean, I, if 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 honestly, God, if he were not if he were not wearing a Florida Panther jersey, I would not be rooting for the Florida Panthers. It still no. bothers me to see the Stanley Cup oh. going to South Beach. You know how I feel about uh, that. me too. I, I'm with think, you on that. I think there should be a constitution amendment to the U.S. Constitution banning hockey below the Mason Dixon <laughs> line. You know that. I'm I'm with you, but you know now that he's down there, I'm you know I'm rooting for the Panthers. I am. All right, let us get to the Eagles, and I'm going to kind of move into it this way. Yesterday, there was a trade in the NFL. Robert Woods goes from the Rams to the Tennessee Titans for a sixth-round pick. Actually, a sixth-round pick next ne- year. Not, next not year. Not even this year. Right. Yeah. Sixth-round pick in 2023. Right. Now, he's coming off an injury, uh, so I don't, I don't know where his health is right now. But still, they got him on the cheap, right? That's, you don't get much cheaper than that. No, that, that's, that's true. That is the... A, fut- a, a future Isle. sixth round pick. Yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, Robert Woods, pretty good player. He was he was at forty five catches, five hundred fifty six yards, four touchdowns before he hurt himself in a practice this year. And he is good. And he is another receiver now who has moved. And Ray, we talked this about this a little bit yesterday. The free agent market has kind of come and gone. The Eagles made one nice pickup of an edge rusher, Raddick, mm-hmm. right. and nothing else. Uh, and here are wide receivers who moved this offseason. Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, mm-hmm. Michael – no, Michael Gallup re-signed. I'm not going to give you ones who re-signed. Yeah. Allen Robinson goes to the Rams. Allen, you're right. I'm, I'm just going to give you right. the names of guys who moved. Uh, Russell Gage, Juju Smith-Schuster, Christian Kirk – got way too much money. Yeah. DJ Shark, Cedric Wilson. Now I'm starting to get into the guys who aren't very good. Byron Pringle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Zay Jones. Um, and what's left on the market is maybe a guy or two. I mean, Odell Beckham you don't want for many reasons, including he got tore his knee up in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and it looks like the Rams are bringing him back. I mean, that's part of the reason right. why they were willing to deal Woods. Fine. Julio Jones seems cooked to me. Yeah, that didn't work out for him in Tennessee. Right. Maybe Jarvis Landry, I don't know, Will Fuller. I mean, it's so so my question to you is at this point, do we consider the Eagles free agent Eagles um the time during free agency a failure for the Eagles? I'll uh, answer first. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I I just wanted to get that on the record. Right. I do. You? Um well, I really I 
I really like the Reddick signing. I think he's a really good player in a position that helps them greatly. I mean, they, they needed pass rush. He will give them pass rush. So that was a real good signing. But I'm sort of with you in the sense that there's a lot more work that needs to be done here. I mean, it's, you know, that, this is not a team that was one player away from being a Super Bowl team. They have a lot of work to do. And I, I suspect that they're probably putting uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of hope into the draft. You know, they've got, they've got a lot of picks. they got three in the first round. I think they mm-hmm. figure they're going to really help themselves in the draft, and I hope they do. Uh, but I do think that there was more that could have been done in free agency, especially in the area of wide receiver. Because, I mean, in the draft, could they draft a wide receiver? Yeah, they could. And there are some good wide receivers in this draft. Uh, but I think the receiver, the wide receiver that they need right now to round out the offense is a veteran wide receiver. Because you got young guys. you yeah. got young guys that you're still trying to develop. You, you, need that, you don't need to add another young guy to the mix. What you need is that other receiver needs to be a veteran receiver. He's been around the league, runs good patterns, understands playing in the NFL, understands the coverages, can make the decisions on the fly that only a veteran can make. Um, and those guys were out there. And I kind of, frankly, I thought that was the other move they were going to make. I thought they were going to go get a pass rusher. I thought they were going to go get a receiver. And to me, Woods was a guy that stood out because I, I look at Woods. I saw him play at Southern Cal. Uh, I've seen him play through his career, Buffalo, uh, and, and here – um, with the Rams, and to me, he had he had the qualities I was looking for. Is the best way of putting it. Uh, he had size, you know, he's six feet, one hundred ninety-five, strong, uh, runs exceptionally good patterns, uh, a great pattern runner, and I have always put great value in that. I know, I know, we're into an era of speed, speed, speed. You know, everybody wants the four-two, four-three, forty guy that can get down, stretch the field. You know, the chunk play. I mean, all those terms that we're hearing now. Uh, <laughs> But you still need that guy that on third and eight is going to get to the sticks and catch the ball. And, and that's, that's all about pattern running. It's all about understanding defenses, finding the soft spot in the defense, turning around and catching the football. And that's what Woods did. I mean, if you look at his career, I mean, he had three years in a row, 86 catches, 90 catches, 90 catches, mm-hmm. uh, been productive over time. The tour in Achilles is a concern. I'm not going to say it's not. He tore it, um, he tore it in, in November. November. But there's expectation that he can be back at the start of this year. He will be. He's 29 now, but he'll be 30 next month. I understand all of that. But one of the other things that he's got that I think that would fit with the Eagles, and again, to me, so much of free agency is about the fit. And so it's okay to get a good player, but does he fit with your team and what you want to do? To me, Woods would have been that because he's, again, he's a veteran, understands it, runs good patterns. He runs the intermediate in-cut stuff really well. And that's, you know, given Jalen Hurts' arm, I mean, those are throws he's got to make. And here's a guy that knows how to make them. And the other thing is, in my view, he was the best blocking wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, it wasn't even close, really. I mean, he was really, really good at that. And one thing we learned last year is this is a team that's good when they run the football. And you bring this guy in, and he's one more good blocker in a good running football team. So for me, all of those reasons made him a fit. And if you're talking about even if those questions with the injury, if you're talking about a future sixth-round draft pick, I mean, I would have done that. I absolutely would have done that. Okay. Uh, the other position that I would have hoped they would have addressed is safety. And there have been a lot of safeties who have moved. Uh, Marcus Williams moved, uh, Marcus May moved. He's a guy I, I thought they would have some interest in. Yeah, good player uh, lost on a bad team. Yeah, Justin Reed, Justin Whitehead, a lot of Marcuses and Justins here. Uh, Xavier Woods, who people know from Minnesota. So they all moved. And just interestingly, Ray, uh, yesterday a couple of Eagles players went to Twitter to lobby for the Honey Badger. 
Mm-hmm. Kenny Gainwell and Sean Bradley both kind of lobbied for uh, Tyron Matthew, who mm-hmm. remains on side on that. Um, That's probably a money issue. I, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Matthews, he's, he's making he's making pretty good coin. Well, so I think that's that's he, probably part. He of remains it. unsigned, right? I know. So no, he's that's making part, part no of the coin reason. at the yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. So I, I will say, there's been a narrative that has developed in recent days uh, among a lot of people who cover the Eagles that it's been a good off season because hey, they already extended Dallas Goddard and Maddox, and they brought back Kelsey and Cox, who they actually first cut. So. I don't know if they get, like, how much congratulations you get for that. Um, they they had earlier extended Jordan Mailata and Sweat, and that's all fine. I, I think those are generally good moves, but I don't think that's exactly cause for a victory lap, is it? I mean, how many Pro Bowls have the, the – the, taking away Kelsey and Cox, who are two older guys you're bringing back. Goddard and Sweat were alternates last year, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I don't count that. Right and 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 again, I have uh, you know, I Dallas Goddard, great. I like him. Keep him. All those guys, Malata, terrific. Keep him. But it's not exactly like you're getting better. You're just keeping guys that you have. How are you getting better? Yeah, I, that's that's kind of how I view it. I mean, this this is sort of like I I think the Eagles uh, have become are probably a little annoyed that there's that they're getting a sense that the Eagle Nation is getting a little restless in free agency and suggesting in the conversation if they listen to this station at all. They're hearing the conversation from from fans saying, "Why the Eagles are doing something? Why aren't they doing anything?" You know, I like Reddick, but they got a lot more to do. Well, I, I kind of agree with that, and so that's out there, and I think the Eagles are a little annoyed by that. So they're they're trying to do a little counter programming, and they're trying to put out a, a second version of this. Oh, well, no, 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 we've we've done a lot. Look at what we've done. Well, some of it you did in season, you know, and some of it is just a matter of retaining what you already have, which is fine. I agree with all of those decisions that they made in terms of re-signing and extending those guys. That's good. I mean, that's good. That's doing good business. But there was more that needed to be done. And I, I think that there were a couple of opportunities here. And you, we just talked about one position, wide receiver, and the other position, safety, uh, that need to be addressed. And there were opportunities to do that in free agency. Now, you can go ahead and try and do it in the draft. Um, but, I mean, there were opportunities right now. And I understand that, you know, there's, there are money issues and there are salary cap issues and everybody's interested in the honey badger. But you've you got to find some way to make the dollars work. Um, but the idea that this has been you know, a really productive and positive offseason, I, I don't buy that. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a Reddick signing, really good signing, really good player, and he's definitely going to help you in an area where you needed help. But there was more that needed to be done. Indeed. And the three first-round draft picks, we'll see how they use them. That, that could be terrific. But, again, it's, here we are. All right, 215-592-9494. By the way, Ray, best caller of the day, wins a $50 gift card to Scheib Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or at ScheibSports.com. Ray, how about we let our producer, Moshe Kravitz, pick the best caller of the day today? Oh, I think we should. Get, get you and I off the hook. Mm-hmm, yep. I'm all in favor of that. All right. My pal Lou in Mount Laurel starts us out. How are you, Lou? Hey, and how are you? It's Sunday, and I day of worship as I worship at the altar of Glenn Mack now. Well, how are you, man? We're good. Thanks. Glenn, I, you know, watching all those Giroux highlights and Giroux tribute videos, the one thing that stuck out to me is, and I think you said it too, the lack of talent that surrounded him his whole time here. I mean, you're, you're looking at some of his highlights where you have Aaron Ashton as his, as his winger. <laughs> really? I have the goals really? showing like Aaron Ashton was his stinking line mate. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. I mean, and then you look at, you look at a Crosby who had Malcolm. You look at all the greats. And I do. I think 
I rarely say this. I think he did earn to right to say where he want to go. I, I wish there would have been a little more, some backroom stuff to maybe jack up the price to make yes. kind of maybe look at like Colorado was involved. But also he goes to Florida, Glenn. I, I, I do. I hope they win the cup. I hope it's like when Ray Bork went from Colorado or excuse me, from went from Boston to Colorado. If Giroux wins the cup, that means so will another former flyer, Sergei Bobrovsky, who's tearing up the league still down there. Wow. Still, he's their guy. Glenn, I don't know if you've seen his stats. He's been remarkable, but, you know, we had to let him go because we had to bring in Brzezgalov. So. I know. I know. Oh. Bob, Bob was somebody who they made a big mistake on. Big time. Yeah. Big time. Um, so I am. I'm, I'm, I hope he does well. I think he's, he's earned that right. Um, so I'm going to say for the next couple months, I hope, as much as I, I agree with you, Glenn, it pains me. It hurts a piece of my hockey soul to see the Stanley Cup go to Florida, but I, I do hope they win it. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, Lou. Thanks, Thanks as always. <laughs> The hockey soul. <laughs> you don't hear that term a whole lot. No, that was pretty good. It's uh, right. it's been a go it's been a rough for folks like Lou, and I know Lou is is an absolute flyer diehard from all the way back. These have been painful times. Oh gosh! I mean, this they, if you're a real flyer fan with a real sense of history that you actually were there on Broad Street when they brought Cup Number One down there, and you've been with the team that long, you have suffered for the last ten years. Well, really and have. and I know Lou. Lou. Lou wasn't. He's a younger guy. Lou's. I mean, younger relative to us, Lou's probably 40, right? So he That's doesn't long enough. remember. Well, he doesn't remember any of that, but he does remember when the team was good, when every year you could expect that the Flyers would excel, you know, maybe make a final every couple of years. He was, he, Lou probably grew up in the Lindros era. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And, yeah, right. That's <laughs> fine. Wasn't so bad in hindsight, was it? Yeah, I mean, they still look, they still resembled the Flyers then. Yes, they did. But that's, unfortunately, that's a fading memory. Uh, indeed. All right, coming up, Ray Dinger draft preview. We're going to get into the college draft. I know some people want to talk about that. I want to hear about that. Uh, we moved some of our features from yesterday to today. We have This Week in Philadelphia Sports History, which today, Ray, is the anniversary of a very uh, big moment in mm-hmm. Philadelphia sports. I'm not going to say what it was, but I'll give people the clue that it was 18 years ago today. Okay. It was a very momentous day in Philadelphia sports history. We're going to do what we're watching. You and I are watching the same show. I think I'm probably enjoying it more than you. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine. I imagine so. Uh, and speaking of, of history, do you know that um, today is Sunday? Friday was the 100th anniversary of the beginning of WIP. I heard something about that. I am going to read you the first day of programming on the station, Ray. Apparently, you and I had the day off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am going to play an amazing Joe Conklin tribute to 100 years of WIP. I can't wait for that. So all of that coming up, starting with Ruth Ray's draft preview, 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, 
the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. All right, Ray Dinger, we are about a month away from the NFL draft. I know at your house the yellow legal pads are just burning up. So let us go now to the weekly Ray Dinger NFL Draft Preview. Well, you're right. The yellow tablets have been uh, <laughs> they're, they're piled uh, they're piled high on the kitchen table right now. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I enjoy it. I'm. Uh, ever since the season's ended and we've gone through the Senior Bowl and then the Combine, I've been furiously taking my notes. And uh, I spent a lot of time talking about the defense. And I'm gonna, I am gonna—I swear I will get to the offensive players. I swear I will get to that next week or the week after. But I, I'm, I'm still kind of focused on the defense and the defensive line because it's an area where I think the Eagles need help. And I think there's a lot of players, really good players, coming out in this draft. And I'm going to address defensive line here again today, uh, talking about two players. Uh, and I'm going to start with David Ajabo, who's the uh, defensive end from the University of Michigan, who um, was a fast riser this season. By the end of the season, everybody knew Aiden Hutchinson is the elite player on that defensive line out at Michigan and is going to be a top three pick in this draft, if not the number one player. I mean, he's that good. Um, but the guy on the other side of that line, David Ajabo, is, is a late riser. He's a late bloomer. He's a kid that was born in Nigeria. He was raised in Scotland. He didn't really start playing football, though. His family moved here. There's a lot he still has to learn, but, man, is he an athlete. 6'4", 250 pounds, and every time he played, he just saw him get better and better. His ceiling, and coaches love to talk about the ceiling now. His ceiling was enormous. And he would have been a top, certainly a top 20 pick in this draft, but Michigan had their pro day this week, and while Aiden Hutchinson was dazzling everybody with his workout, David Ajabu went down. Uh, and I saw the footage, and when I saw him go down, I th- he grabbed his leg, and I thought, well, okay, maybe it's just a high ankle sprain, which ain't good, but I thought maybe it's not that bad. turns out he tore his Achilles. Yeah. Can so, I say one thing about because I watched that same video. Right. He goes down in a heap, and he's writhing around on the ground, and nobody comes out to help him. Right. I know this is just a trivial point, not related to what you're saying, but it struck me. And, in fact, th- there's a guy who's, like, running the drill who just, like, picks up the ball that he dropped and walks away. Could they be less concerned about him? No, I thought that was <laughs> – I've, I've seen that before. I can't say I never saw that. I never saw that before. But I, I, I was sort of struck by the same thing because it was clear this was not a, this was not a minor injury. I mean, it was clear that he, he was really hurt and he was really in pain. Um, but now the question is, what does this mean for him with the draft coming up? And we had, we had Dr. Pollard on yesterday, and we talked about this. You know, and Dr. Pollard was talking about the difference in positions and how if you're a defensive back or you're a wide receiver, an Achilles tear is probably more problematic because those are, those are positions that require that kind of movement and really stress on the Achilles. And you don't have to remind Eagles fans what happened with Sidney Jones. Yeah, that's and, a great comparison. Yeah, I mean, he went down in exactly the same situation. His pro day, here was a guy who was probably, in a lot of people's minds, the number one cornerback coming out in the draft. 
goes down on his pro day with a torn Achilles. The Eagles decided we're going to take a flyer on him in the second round, and you saw what happened. I mean, he hardly got on the field, and when he did get on the field, you were sorry he did. Uh, and so sometimes that happens. Um, what does this mean for David Ajabu? Why I think what makes this interesting is the doctor was saying sometimes with defensive linemen, it's a little easier and not quite as problematic to come back from Achilles because explosion isn't necessarily what you need. It's a strength position. I will tell you David Ajabo is an exception to that rule because his game is all about explosion. I mean, his game is all about that first step, that takeoff. I mean, when he went to the combine and worked out at the combine, um, one of the things that just blew me away was he did a 35-inch vertical, which is, I mean, that's almost like that's almost like defensive back standards. I mean, that's the kind of athlete he was at 250 pounds. So if I think that's what's really going to scare people is a guy like that who's so reliant on that first step quickness, which is all about explosion, is how well is he going to come back from an Achilles tear? And I think, you know, I had heard his name linked with the Eagles a lot because they're looking for pass rushers. And he figured to be right in that 15, 16, 19 where the Eagles were going to be drafting. I had heard that the Eagles were very interested in him. A lot of mock drafts had him going to the Eagles. And now what do you do if you're the Eagles? What do you do? And where Second does David, rounder, Ray. Where does David Ajabu go? <laughs> Um, yeah. I was really sorry to I was really sorry to see that happen because everybody has told me what a wonderful young man he is. I really think he had a chance to come to the NFL, would have come in with a <laughs> with a first round pick and a chance to do some great things. Now I just don't know. I'll, I still think he'll probably be picked. Somebody just is going to probably take a shot on him, almost Sidney Jones like, probably in the second round, and maybe it'll work out for him. But it's a huge, huge risk. Yeah, it's really a darn shame. It is. Yeah, and the uh, for the other that young guy, you, yeah, you hate that. Yep. Yep, yep. And the last thing I wanted to address on the defensive line uh, is Jordan Davis uh, is the defensive tackle from the massive defensive tackle from Georgia. When we saw him Friday night when you were getting that great Reds Bagnell Award down at the Maxwell Football Club, and I I got to stand like within three feet of him. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, the sky disappeared. Yeah, he casts a big shadow, doesn't he? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's six feet six. Uh, He told me that he played at 356 pounds this year. Um and he was and it, believe me it didn't hurt him. Uh, but he 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 went into real serious training at the end of the season after they won the national championship. Got down to three forty, and then when it went to the Indianapolis, went to the combine and just tested tremendously well. Uh, ran up, just blew everybody away with a four eight forty. No one had ever seen anything like that before, and tested great. Uh, so now, one of the things that I was thinking about looking at the draft, I was looking at where Jordan Davis was before all of this, and. I felt like he was probably going to still be on the board when the Eagles came up in that 15-16 area. I thought he was still going to be there. And he would have really interested me as a player. Because I know everybody's talking about the edge rushers, and everybody wants the edge rushers and the pressure from the edge. And there are a lot of them. There are really a lot of them in this draft. But there's really only one player like Davis. And the the drop-off from him to the next interior defensive lineman is very steep. So if you're looking to get stronger in the middle and get a big interior guy that can get you some interior pressure, collapse the pocket, Davis was kind of that guy. And even though nobody was thinking about him or talking about him going to the Eagles, given the situation with Fletcher Cox and whether he was going to be back or in what role he was going to be back, Davis really appealed to me because the more I watched Georgia this year, the more impressed I became. I mean, Kobe Dean is a terrific player at middle linebacker, but a lot of his success was predicated on Davis's ability to just eat up all the blockers and give Dean room to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he's a guy that's going to come into the NFL, and I think he's going to be a force right away. 
I, I really do. I don't know what he's going to play at. He's probably not going to stay at 340. He'll probably put on another 10 pounds or so. But if you watch the way he uses his hands, how quick he is off the ball, uh, and the speed that he has, I mean, which is remarkable for a big man. I mean, he can chase down plays on the outside. I mean, teams are trying to run stretch or zone read. He can get there. You know, he'll, you can't run right at him. You can't move him on the block. But he'll go get you if you're running zone read to the outside. He's a very, very rare player. The problem is I think he's tested so well now and interviewed so well now that I don't think he's going to be there at 15. I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. I'd be yeah. shocked if he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. darn shame. Uh, I wish him well. He seemed like a nice kid. Let us go. Larry in Ridley Park has wanted to talk about the NFL draft for two days. Larry, this is your moment, pal. Good morning, everybody. This is the first time I've had a call you on a Sunday, so I'm really enjoying the talk. And, Ray, I'll get right to my question. Sure. Um, have you put your mock draft together yet? Um, no, not totally. I, I haven't. Uh, let me let me amend that. I haven't done a team by team where I try and match player to team. But I have right. I have like I have like how I rank the players through the first two rounds. Right. Okay, Ray. I'm going to put you in the shoes of Howie Roseman. Two questions. What would you do at 15, 16, and 19, and what do you think he's going to do? Because, Ray, I got this big gut feeling that he's going to reach for a player again. Well, um, my gut feeling, if, if to answer your question, the first part of it, if, if I were in his shoes, um, I would I would do the thing that they always say that they do, but they don't often do, which is stay true to your board. You don't go reaching for players. Uh, don't go trying, don't go taking a player to fill a need who you've got a lower grade on than somebody else. Take the highest rated player in an area where you need help. It's the safest way to go. I mean, there are no guarantees with any of it. But when teams say, okay, we got to pick an offensive tackle here, and they lock themselves into that one, one thought, and then you wind up and you're picking 15th or something, and the guy, the best offensive tackle that's sitting there, is a guy that you know in your heart of hearts is probably a third round pick, but you're you're now you're now committed as an organization. Okay, we got to take the tackle, and you're going to take a tackle, and I guarantee he's going to disappoint you. He ain't going to. They're not all. They're not all Kevin Allen. Okay, but but sometimes you know, and sometimes uh, they they can they can be Luke Jokel. I mean, that's that that's what that's what can happen. So you have to be open to all possibilities. But I would not be. Well, I would not be adverse to the idea of just sitting there at 15, 16, and 19 and taking the three best players. But I, 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 know how, I know Howie well enough that I have a feeling that with that much ammunition, he's going to want to wheel and deal. Right, right. If there's a player that's out there, and let's say he's at 10, so you're five picks down from it, who would the player be that you would be willing to dress up for? And then, Ray, my last question is, who do you think and who will you like to see and pick at 15, 16, and 19? And I'll hang up and listen. All right. Okay. Who Anybody would I... you would reach up for that you see going around 10-ish? Uh, Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, you know, I, I, really, I, I really was thinking that. Because I, don't, I, was thinking that he would be a, I, I was thinking he would be an option at 15 because I thought everybody, there was going to be this – this gold rush for edge rushers. Everybody was going to be drafting the edge rushers early, and Davis was going to probably fall farther than he needed to. But right now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think if you want him, uh, you're going to have to go into the top 10. 10 to me sounds probably about right, 9, 10. Yeah. Yeah. Would, would I trade up to get him? 
Yeah, I would seriously think about it. I really would. Okay. Um, but the other guy, and again, it's another. I'm really locked into Georgia guys, I guess. But I mean, uh, Trayvon Walker. Nothing wrong with that right now. No, I, I have a. You know, um, Larry was just asking, have I done my mock draft yet? Not really, because I haven't met, tried to match player to team, because I still think there's going to be a lot of movement there. But I, what I've done is I've done I've done a, a rating of my players through three rounds. So I kind of have an idea of where guys fall. And right now I have seven Georgia defensive players going in the first two rounds. Well, I hope the Eagles get at least one of those. Yeah, and, and Walker and Davis are both really, really good defensive linemen. Uh, one interior, one on the edge, and then, as I said, Nakobe Dean to me is a guy that I think should absolutely yeah. be a first-round player. Nice. Uh, let's get Brian Middleton up here. Hey, Brian. Oh, uh, good morning, gentlemen. How are you? All right. Always a pleasure. And I do have a question about the draft, too, but I have to get this out first regarding Claude Drew. I've always felt like he's gotten a pass, you know, because if you give me the comparable player in any other sport, baseball, basketball, football, we criticize them if the team doesn't win at all. And, and to me, it's just, and I respect you guys. I'm not a hockey expert. I, you know, I love playoff hockey. But, but at some point, does he get anything? Or is it always just, well, he didn't have the right players around him? No, I, I think mean, he's taken a lot of criticism, actually, over the years. It's, it's funny. It appears that people think of Claude Giroux, basically, there's two, there's two lanes here. One lane is... The guy was here for all these years. They never won anything. He was the captain. He deserves a good part of the blame. Exactly. The other That's is I am. Uh, okay, hold on. The other is, hey, he was a terrific player who had nothing around him and no opportunity to succeed. I think the truth's kind of somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I probably lean more toward the second than the first. But Brian, I'm not going to tell you your opinion is not with merit here because it is. Okay. There yeah, were I, moments I, in there were moments in playoffs and big games during his tenure here where you would have expected more. Yeah, that, that seems reasonable. I mean, I respect his professionalism and all that, and uh, like you said, probably somewhere in the middle of those two thoughts is probably where he should be uh, thought of. Uh, regarding the NFL, now I would not normally disagree with the the dean, the expert of uh, NFL football, but for me, the best blocking wide receiver is actually Chris Godwin. And uh, maybe that's because I'm partial. He's a kid from Middletown. And, uh, but uh, I know Robert Woods is good. But to me, I would have loved Chris Godwin. I know he's been re-signed now by the Tampa Bay Bucks. That option's off the table. What yeah. about trading for DK Metcalf? Um, to me, it looks like the uh, Seahawks are trying to go in a different direction, obviously. I mean, would they be willing to part with him? No, I don't think so. No, he's too he's too young and he's too good. Yeah. I, I think the I think the Seahawks are in the midst of a rebuilding. Um but if you're going to rebuild, you have to rebuild around something. You know, and and he would be part of whatever kind of a young core you're putting together. So great thought. I mean the Eagles listen, the Eagles had their shot at DK Metcalf. They had their they had their shot at him when he came out in the draft and they decided they wanted they liked JJ Arcega Whiteside better. Uh, the interesting thing with the Seahawks and the Colts and the Saints and maybe the Falcons and others, it will now be to see where this quarterback roulette goes. Um, right. You know, once Deshaun Watson goes to Cleveland and now Baker Mayfield is going to be out of there and Carson Wentz moves from Indy to Washington and so on and, and Russell Wilson moves out of Seattle to Denver – I think the next couple of weeks is going to be fascinating to watch the quarterback scramble. Yeah, yeah. Well, Baker Mayfield is the next shooter drop. There's no question about that. I mean, he's got no future in no. Cleveland anymore. No. And uh, 
he's made that pretty obvious. He wants out. Well, and uh, I don't blame him. Do you? No, no. I mean, some of it is of his own doing. I mean, some of the stuff that got, got into. I mean, but that's anybody that knows Baker knows that, that this kind of stuff just follows him. You know, I mean, he's not Johnny Manziel, and I'm not trying to say that he no, is. No, there's a lot of drama. But there's, there, but there, yeah. everywhere he goes, there's drama. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, I'll, and, and, it's, and, and he generates a lot of it. Yeah. And, um, and I think he's still got talent. I was a little surprised that he was the first overall pick in the draft. I didn't see him as that kind of player. But he's a guy that can still win in the National Football League. And to me, the two situations that, that look like obvious fits to me are the ones that you mentioned. It'd be Indianapolis and Seattle. That right now, those are those are two NFL teams that really don't have a quarterback. Yeah, and I, I think you know when the season starts, he's going to be playing for one or the other. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Best caller of the day gets a fifty dollars gift card to Shibe Sports. Coming up, Ray, the hundredth anniversary of WIP, which uh, I, Joe Conklin did a great song that I heard on Friday. I don't know that people have had a whole opportunity to hear it, so I want to play that and talk about the history a little bit. Ray and Glenn, Sunday on 94 WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now 94 WIP. So, Ray, a um, hundred years ago, as of Friday, mm-hmm. was the very first time that WIP came on the air. <laughs> okay. Here's the great part. I'm, I'm looking this up in Wikipedia. It was the city's third radio station, even though WIP claimed to be the first. <laughs> We've so. claimed many things over the yeah, years. We have. <laughs> we have. Um, and I'm going to, I found, I, I dug it up, I found the, the first day of programming. You ready for the, the very first day of programming on WIP? Uh, yeah, you I and I were still I about wait. five years away. Okay. Okay. 11 a.m., addressed by his honor, Mayor Moore. Okay. 11.15 a.m., addressed by Judge Patterson. That, I bet you that was riveting. 11.30 a.m., May Farley, Philadelphia's favorite soprano. Okay. Live singing, right? Mm-hmm. 12 noon, news items. 12.30 p.m., addressed by Lieutenant Commander R.Y. Cadmus, Radio Inspector, 3rd District. What the hell could that even be? Wow. What is it? What does that it, mean? It, it sort of makes you wonder how there was a second day of WIP. <laughs> day one seems to have gotten off to a little bit of a halting start. <laughs> well, 2 to 3 p.m., music program. Uh, 4 p.m., news and topics of the day. And then sign off. No Joe Conklin? No. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. No Joe Giglio. No. Uh, here's the, the at the bottom of this, it says, first it says, yesterday's broadcasting was most successful. WIP wavelength 360 meters. Best of all, we can furnish equipment for your own use. $73.45 complete, which means you could buy a radio. And somebody did the math for me, the conversion, which is the equivalent of more than $1,200 now. Hmm. <laughs> which, but I mean, isn't that that way? Every, like, you remember when computers, you know, personal computers first began, whatever it was, 25 years ago or so. Right. Right, I guess more than that now, but whatever. Uh, to get a computer, your home computer, first of all, they were enormous, and second of all, they cost a fortune. Right. Same thing with TVs, right? TVs just got cheaper and cheaper. Yes, they did. Radios, once upon a time, cost real money. <laughs> so I want to play this for you. Joe Conklin put together a tribute for WIP's 100th anniversary, and I think this is one of the best things that Joe has ever done. 
My only problem with it is I can't even think as fast as Joe can talk here. Are you ready, Ray? I'm ready. Uh, you're going to listen, then there's going to be a quiz at the end. Okay. All right, most take it. We've been everywhere, man. We've been everywhere, man. A hundred years on the air, man. Broadcasting with flair, man. Big names we've had our share, man. We've been everywhere. We've had Ken Garland, Steve-O, Jan Janssen, Wee Willie, Martirano, Pellegrino, Al Morgani, A. Cataldi, Tony Bruno, Jody Mac, Gordon, Thomas, Jan Gorham, Mac Down, Ray Diddy, Dirty 30, Got a Quorum, Earl Reese, Ike Reese, Joe DeCamera, Bill Campbell, Sonny Hill, Ben Hill, now we're going downhill. We've been everywhere, man. We've been everywhere, man. A hundred years on the air, man. As the ratings bear, man. Market Street, Rittenhouse Square, man. We've been everywhere. We've been to Wing Bowl, Hell Hole, Super Bowl, Took a Toll, Brookshire, Tumble Main, Bigby was an asshole, Bria Hughes, Big Daddy, Johnny Marks, Tom Moran, Rob, Cherry, Keith Jones, even had a station band, Larry King to Billy King, two Westkins, no waiting, taking calls, screaming loud, quarterback still debating, we've been everywhere, man, hundred years on the air, man, as the ratings bear, man, big fun, we've had our share, man, Angelo's in a rocking chair, man, we've been everywhere. Your thoughts, right? Well, that is that that is true brilliance, it's right there. It's spectacular, isn't it? It really is. It re- it really is. How he got all of that in there, and I really don't think he missed anybody. Uh, how he got that all in there uh, is pretty remarkable. That's yeah. uh, but that's Joe. I mean, there's nobody else that can do what Joe does. Let's face that. No, uh, and again, I, I listened to it like four or five times, and I'm trying to get all the names and all the events and wing bowl and this, and, and it's just it's great and. Listen, you and I have been part of this station for, well, you longer than I have. I came, I started doing part-time stuff when WIP went all sports in, I guess, 1989. So mm-hmm. I've been doing it for 33 years. Well, I guess you've been about the same, right? Yeah, maybe just a little, maybe just a little bit earlier, but right, right around the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tom Brookshire, when they launched the thing, Tom, you know, I knew Tom very, very well through football. And he said, hey, we're starting up this all-sports radio station, and would you want to be a part of it? And I said, well, okay, if you, what do you want me to do? He said, no, nah, just come on and talk, just like the stuff we normally do. And I said, oh, well, I could do that. And so, um, but, you know, in all honesty, I mean, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, yes, yes, this isn't going to last. Absolute, absolutely right. <laughs> you know, this is going to run its course. I mean, it'll be, it'll I give be, it five years. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun for a while. I, that's just about what I thought. I thought this will be fun for a little while, you know, yes. and, but, you know, this thing is going to run its course in five years and the format will change and, you know, and, they, and I'll come in here one day and I'll be playing polka albums. You know yes. I mean? That's, that's just the way things work in radio. And here and, we are. And here, and here we are. Yeah, I know. Who knew? Know. It's amazing. I'm delighted to be doing it. Well, I remember as a, as a, as a kid who grew up here, uh, I, I remember listening to WIP. I mean, that was the station that we had on the radio at our house. You know, in the, in the mornings when I would come down for breakfast, you know, mom had the radio on. And was it was that w- Ken Garland days? It was, w- it was WIP. I think it was Ken Garland. Yeah. You know, and, and he that's was like you, the ultimate morning host kind of guy. Yeah, and it was what, you know, is what radio, what radio formatters call adult contemporary. Uh, and it was not all pure talk. I mean, it was Ken Garland on, and he would, he would and it, mostly it was music. And they play that kind of adult contemporary music, you know, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they mixed in the weather, the news, the traffic, all that kind of thing. And that was how I went out the door in the morning. I mean, it was yeah. WIP. Very cool. 610 a.m. Yes. It, or it was. as Tom Bigby would say, 610. Yeah. They, they, the one thing about WIP that I, I always remember is they were the first radio station in the city that had a billboard. 
No. <laughs> okay. They had. Uh, I remember when you went over the when you went over the Walt Whitman Bridge, Philadelphia going into Jersey. One of the big billboards there, and they didn't have as many as they do now because of the casinos. But they had some advertising billboards. And right as you right as you went through the toll booth, going over the Walt Whitman Bridge, one of the big billboards there was a WIP six ten. Wow. AM. Uh, no, no other radio station was doing that kind of advertising, but WIP was the first. How about that? Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Robert in Germantown. Let's get you before the break. Hey, Robert. Hey, guys. Good morning to you both. Uh, Thank you. Sitting here listening to the show and reading the uh, New York Post. So, quick quiz question. There's a wonderful interview with uh, Colin Gillespie, and he says his favorite cheesesteak is... Delisandros. Delisandros. <laughs> you read it already. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I saw that this morning. I, I, I got a good laugh out of it. Every time they do, that's the Steve Serby Q&A, and they do that every Sunday. And it's, it's really kind of a fun read. Um, and, and I knew every time he's interviewed a Philly guy, he always asked the cheesesteak question. So, uh, yeah. and, Gilles- and Gillespie went right to Delisandros, which is not a bad choice, by the way, right there in, uh, right there in Roxborough. Yeah, near your old home area. I, uh, yeah, I right. John's oh, believe work, me. I was, I was at D'Alessandro's many times. I bet. Well, listen, I am in heaven. You know, I'm an old basketball coach, as you know, we've talked about before, but I'm just loving March Madness. I'm loving mm-hmm. the coaching brilliance. I'm loving the guys diving on the floor and hustling and just the, the little upset Guys like St. Peter's from Jersey City. Yeah, how about that? Third ever 15 seed to reach the Sweet 16. Yeah, they knocked out Kentucky and Murray State. And, you know, I just, it's hard for me to watch the NBA guys by comparison. I I don't buy that argument. Listen, I appreciate that you love the NCAA. Oh. And the, the you're comparing it to the NBA regular season, which is an 82 game schedule. If you compare it to the NBA playoffs, I think it's a fair comparison. It is, but I don't see it, Glenn. I just don't see the coaching brilliance at the NBA. Well, the okay, yeah, the NBA is a players' league. Yeah, and if you I watch mean, the Sixers, you and I got to run, Robert. But if you watch the Sixers, right, you certainly don't see the coaching brilliance. I, uh, no, I'll give Robert that point. Yeah. <laughs> All right, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four coming up this week in Philadelphia sports history. It's a big one. Rain Glenn ninety four WIP. Right, Andrew Glenn Mac now. Sunday on 94 WIP. Um, this week in Philadelphia Sports History, brought to you by Shive Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or visit ShibeSports.com. Best caller of the day wins a $50 gift card to Shive Sports, which brings us to our moment. Ray, where were you 18 years ago this morning? <laughs> I think I know exactly where I was. I know where I was. I was actually kind of uh, covering it for WIP, uh, and it was the day they blew up the vet. And I was and, standing in the parking lot. Yeah, um, and uh, what was then Comcast Sportsnet covered it live, our pal Michael Barkan on the air, and I'm going to play it. Uh, this is this is the final seconds, and you hear the vet start to go down, and I'll tell you, I still, after all these years, find it like a really haunting, kind of scary, creepy sound as it happened. Um, so let, let's just uh, let's play it. Here you go. Five, take one four, final look. three, two, fire, fire. It, Ray, it sounded like a train rumbling by as it kind of the um, the explosives detonated section by section. Right. 
and it just kind of slowly crumbles to the ground. Yeah, it did, um, and I, if you remember, it actually didn't for a moment. Yes, like I all, do. like all the charges, all the charges went off one after another, and they went in a circular way around the building, and you saw all of it, and then they stopped, and then nothing it, happened for a moment, wait. and yeah. then you saw the built, then you saw the vet shutter, yeah, and then it all came down. Yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of fright. It was cool and frightening. And by the way, how about Mayor John Street screwing up the countdown? I know, <laughs> I know. What happened to one? Do you remember? Do you, <laughs> yeah, do you remember? Uh, do you remember who pushed the plunger? Uh, yes, it was the fanatic and Greg Luzinski. Correct. It was the yes. fanatic, uh, fanatic and the bull pushed yeah, the plunger that blew it up. And and here's the thing that I it it is for me one of one of the most momentous times I was on WIP. So indulge me just for a, a personal story here for me. Sure. Um, the night before the vet was blown up, I was on the air. I was doing 7 to 11 at night then. And I, Ray, I had always thought the vet was a dump. I always thought the city deserved better. It was a concrete donut. But I also understood what it meant to the people who had spent, what, 33 years cheering there and mm -hmm. booing and swearing and freezing in the seats. So I did a tribute show the night before. Um, you know, Wilbur Montgomery's run and Mitch Williams' leap off the mound. And, and my lines were jammed and people wanted to share their stories and i decided as i'm doing the show that we needed to say goodbye in person to to toast it before moving on so i just kind of impromptu asked a caller if he would join me at the vet when i got off at 11 and he agreed and so did the next and the next and people started calling the show saying i'll bring down champagne and cigars and cheesesteaks whatever made sense uh and then i got a call from a philly cop who said we could park around the corner and wouldn't be hassled <laughs> i mean it's like hey thanks so when my shift ended i headed down there and ray i thought i was going to find 30 fans and there were 300 people yeah um and the corner of broad and patterson was mobbed with folks who had listened to my show and wanted to hold that impromptu irish wake for the joint the night before it went down and they were from you know south philly and southampton and camden and conchahawken and for an hour you know it's like from past midnight we're toasting the vet and lighting cigars and somebody uh, started a, a newspaper fire in a trash can you know to keep it warm it was cold and the cops were great about it and we raised glasses of whatever booze people had to Buddy Ryan and Tug McGraw. And I remember there was a big one to Wendell Davis's knees. <laughs> and we toasted till there was nothing left to toast. And we sang, right? Fly Eagles Fly, at least a dozen times. And for one last time, the vet was this magnet that drew people from all parts of town, you know, every race, all kinds of education, every background, which is really what, you and I have always talked about, to me, is the great part of sports. That, that, that's the magic of sports right there. Is it unites people. Right. And we hugged, and we went home, and the next morning I went up, and, and everybody watched as they blew up the place. And it was, for me, it was one of those nights where I just really appreciate fans. Uh, and I've said this to you before, and I've said this, but it really is kind of my thoughts on this. Athletes come and go. Even the biggest stars. They're, they're mostly here for a while, and then they leave. Claude Giroux. Coaches get fired. Owners sell to the next rich guy. But the fans are forever. The fans are the lifers. And for me, that night with the vet was was that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's my recollection. No, that's great. That's great. And it, it was a great idea on your part. It, and it doesn't surprise me at all that 
you had that many people turn out. I mean, I because stunned. yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't. You know, I mean, it's a great idea, but it, you know, the, the idea that I'm sure that's that's exactly what I've expected. I, and I don't know if it would have been true in any other town, but it was certainly it certainly works in Philadelphia. And yeah, um, even I have though, a question for you. Yeah. So again, I moved here in the in nineteen end of nineteen eighty six. Um, and I thought the vet was, was a dump. I, I didn't like it for baseball. I didn't like it for football. It's like, this is, you know, and I knew this is what they had in Cincinnati, St. Louis. And so I, I've been to those round concrete stadiums. Yeah, it was never, it was never good for baseball, but I was amazed at how people here loved it. And obviously they didn't love the stadium. They loved their experiences at the stadium. Exactly right. But when it was built 1971, Right, young mm-hmm. Ray Didinger goes to the vet for the first time, gleaming, sparkling, mm-hmm. that astroturf, spotless. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah. Initially, <laughs> I got to assume, right? Well, it was it was spotless, but it had a lot of holes and oh. and a lot of ripples in it. Oh, even at the start. Okay, what did you think? What did people think when it first came out? Was it like this miracle future? This is what it's going to be? Yes. Yes, it's hard. It's hard when you're talking about going back 50 years in time. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But that that multi-purpose stadium was viewed as as the wave of the future. That soon every city would have one of these, uh, and it would be a, it would be serviceable for both football and baseball. And you would have artificial turf, so you'd be able to save a lot of money. You could lay down one surface, and both teams could play on it. Um, then it was th- considered to be architecturally groundbreaking, and. Yeah, it was it was embraced by Philadelphia because listen, our, the Phillies and the Eagles were both coming from, you know, the, the Phillies were coming from Connie Mack Stadium, which was really falling apart at that point, uh, and was in an area up in North Philadelphia that was just it was just hard to get up there. There was no parking, and it was, um, I mean, they they just had to get out of there. There was no doubt. I loved the place. Give me and, a dollar, I'll watch your car. Yeah, I, I loved the place, and it was it, there was there was an intimacy to it because where, wherever you sat, you felt you were close to the action, but. Um, but it was a, it was an old stadium, though certainly showing its age. And the Eagles were coming from Franklin Field, which was a college stadium with wonderful history. And I love Franklin Field; I love it to this day. But you know, the the locker rooms weren't adequate. And um, when we walked into the vet the first time, and I remember when they opened when they walked us into the Eagles, opened the door to the Eagles locker room, and we walked in, it was oh my god, I can't believe this. You know, it, it, it the locker room just seemed to go forever. You know, and the training room looked like the yeah, you know, it looked like um, the Mayo Clinic. I mean, compared to what they had, compared to what they had had at at Franklin Field. So it 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 was it was viewed at the time as as a quantum leap into the future and a huge improvement over what we had. Now, by the time you got to town, um, it had certainly begun to show its age, and the and the problems with astroturf were, at that point were well known. You know, we we had seen the injuries and we had seen what had happened there, so everybody had become aware of okay, well, this astroturf thing isn't quite. It's not quite working out the way we thought it was going to work out. So all the warts and all the problems were certainly in evidence by then. But the memories of the place are the memories of the place. And, right. and, and what you said about, you know, the, the stars, even the great players come and go, and the coaches come and go, and even the owners come and go, but the fans never come and go. And, and they truly are the heart and soul of, 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 of the franchises. And, um, and people, that's what people identified with, with the vet. And... Um, you know, when I went down there that one time, when I was working for NFL Films, Steve Sable asked me to produce a show called Six Days to Sunday. So I actually got to live with the Eagles and the coaching staff for one week while they prepared for a game. Mm-hmm. So I actually got the coach and player experience for a week. 
Uh, and this was year two of Andy Reid, so this was 2000. Uh, and that time, that week to me was an eye-opener because I, I became, it was the first time I really became aware of how inadequate, how inadequate the Eagles facilities were compared to what I had seen in other cities around the league. You know, the coaches' offices were real cramped and, and dreary. There were no windows. The, the audiovisual component, the film component, the, uh, that was way behind the other teams. Um, it was the, the locker room, the training room, which were sort of groundbreaking in the 70s, were certainly no longer that by 2000. Um, I, uh, once, after the, at the end of that week, after having been with the coaches and having lived the life for just one week, I became. I, I understood why Jeff Lurie and Joe Banner were so determined to get their own place. They really needed it because by then it had been so far surpassed by the other teams that in terms of facilities and what you could offer to free agents to come to play for you, they just were no longer competitive. Yeah. Yep. All right. I'm glad we covered that. Let's get some calls in here. Bob and Del Rand joins us. Hello, Bob. Hey, guys. I talked to you yesterday, and I'm going to continue my point um, about – I, I don't want Zach Pascal. That's like the pathway to mediocrity. I mean, I need something that can affect Did we talk him. about this? Didn't we talk yeah, about yeah, this yesterday? Yeah, but, yes, but here, here's my additional point. There's an additional per, additional two things. Eagles freed up, I think, approximately, and correct me if I'm wrong, between 15 to $16 million in the cap, I think, Slay and, and with the Fletcher Cox. Yeah, they just redid Slay situation. Yeah. Now, here's the guy I want to go for, and, and I don't want to get Mr. Mediocrity. I want to get Cole Beasley. He's, he, oh, God, no. Oh, no, why not? No, why I would, not? no, I would take Pascal over Beasley in a second. Oh, God, no. Oh, God. Hey, Bob, I, I don't mean to be rude to you, but I really still like to adhere to the call us once a week thing. I know a lot of the shows don't, but I always thought that was a great policy. So we were delighted to talk to you yesterday. We'll be delighted to talk to you next week, once a week on our show. Uh, Ray, Cole Beasley, I'm, I'm not interested. No, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, you're talking about a similar kind of guy. You're talking about a slot receiver, which is what Pascal is, and it's certainly what Beasley is, and always has been. And he's been really good. I mean, for a long period of time. I mean, he's kind of what you're looking for in there. But I think, geez, he's. I mean, he's up in years now. I don't think he has nearly. I don't think he has a whole lot left. Um, and Pascal is a similar kind of player, younger and bigger. Uh, I, I know this guy called yesterday and was talking about. He was really. He didn't like the idea of Zach Pascal, and he plays in Indianapolis. He's a free agent now. There's been a lot of chatter that. Nick Sirianni, having coached him in Indianapolis, would be interested in bringing him to Philadelphia. I actually don't think it would be a bad idea. He's bounced around the league, but he found a home plan for Sirianni in Indianapolis. And if you look at his tape, it's not bad. For a slot receiver, a guy that's got some size and some versatility, I don't think he'd be a bad pick. I Obviously, Bob has issues with it, but I don't. Yeah, I'm not opposed to it on its face. It's just that when we went over the list of all the wide receivers who have switched teams, Pascal's doesn't probably crack the top ten. No, 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 no. Uh, so I'm, at this point, sure, but you know, they I thought they needed a more serious upgrade. Yeah, the one guy the receiver. one guy that was sort of a free agent slot receiver that interested me was Braxton Barrios, the kid from the Jets. Um because he was he's a really good slot receiver, young, really developing. You can kind of see it coming with him. Uh and he's also a, a excellent kick returner. So I mean he he gave you a lot of value and well, a lot of different. They didn't have areas. that last year. That's for no, sure. and I I really liked a lot about him. But I just had a feeling that I said the Jets aren't going to let him go. They got the money. They're going to keep him, and they did. Yeah, and and just one more time, I respect and appreciate all our callers. I really do, and I know we we make you hold for a while because uh, Ray and I have a lot of stuff we want to cover. But once a week, once once per show, or you know once once per week for us is pretty much what we're looking to do. Uh, Harvey and Summerton, you're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Harvey. I like that rule, Glenn. Uh, Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, I, uh, uh, Ray, first, Ray, I'd like to congratulate you uh, on your award. Oh, thank well you. Deserved. Thank you, Harv. Uh, yeah, uh, I wanted to talk about NFL football, but first, you're talking about WIP, and my father uh, told me that uh, if you went downtown, this was like, uh, I guess, uh, during the 30s, and you went uh, past Gimbel's, uh, yeah. John Sasenda would be broadcasting in the window of Gimbel's. I found a picture of that. Yes, the the yes. student, and this is even when it started in 1922. Right, it was and, Ray. They broadcast live from Gimbel's, and, and what, you yeah. you could walk by and and see whoever. I don't know if it was John Fassen or whoever it was. You could walk by and see him broadcasting. Oh, that's, and the reason that's pretty cool. the reason was because a lot of the radio stations were started by the department stores, and Gimbel's started WIP. So radios, yeah. Now, uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, – you got a lot of movement of quarterbacks. Uh, uh, you know, you got uh, mm-hmm. Trubinsky going to Pittsburgh. You got Mayfield wanted to go here. They talk about Matt Ryan going there. Uh, and my concern is that uh, most of these quarterbacks don't have a long shelf life as far as starters. And I'm just wondering, how will that affect the Eagles' draft next year if they're looking for a quarterback in the draft? Um, Ray? Well, uh, and you mentioned some guys' quarterbacks that are on the move. Uh, I think you could probably add to that list Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he's right. I think he's going to be moving, too. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the whole landscape is, will be different a year from now. I mean, who would have foreseen – a lot of the stuff we've seen this year, uh, situations just develop. You know, um, you know, Tom Brady might retire and unretire again. You know, things, things in in, in a year's time, things change a lot. Um, to me, I think that the one, the one thing I think you can count on in next year, uh, if you're thinking in terms of the Eagles maybe being in position to draft a quarterback next year, if you don't think things work out with Jalen Hurts, I mean, Bryce Young is is the guy. I mean, at, at Alabama, I think he will. It would sh- right now, if you were to ask me who I think is going to be the first pick in next year's draft, it would probably be him at the quarterback position. Um, if you're lucky enough to get him, I think you get him. To me, he looks like he's the guy that's got the ability to be a franchise quarterback. But a year from now, I don't know. I, it's going to be it, things are going to be so different. I mean, who knows if Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing? I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot that can change in a year's time. We, if if, there, if we've learned one thing about football over the years, it's that that from one year to the next, things change dramatically. Yeah. Yep. Let me stink Bryant in West Philly up here before the break. Let's talk about Jordan Davis. We all love him, Bryant. Yeah, 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 yeah. How you doing, Glenn? You know, right. you know how you doing, right? Yeah, I just seen. You know, I was on the internet and I seen a guy uh, speaking about Jordan Davis, and he said Jordan Davis came in for an interview with the Eagles. Now, if I, I was listening to you and Glenn talking, and if he moves to ten, Glenn, I mean Ray, I'm moving up. No question, I'm moving up because I'm gonna tell you the signals. Okay, Fletcher Cox got restructured to a one-year deal. Okay, mm-hmm. and now, man, he being reconstructing, you know, by the Eagles reconstructing his contract, I think that they might be going out. He might be a target because in, in the draft, I think they may be have strong interest. That's I've been hearing that they've been strong interest in them, um, Georgia uh, defense alignment. Yeah, I agree. Um, I. I... I don't know. I, I don't know what they're thinking. I really don't know what they're thinking. But I, I'm, I've watched the guy play all year. I, th- I think he's a, a difference-making player, and I'm projecting him with the Eagles 
if you put him at tackle next to Hargrave, what's it? What's an offense going to do? Who are you going to double? Exactly. Are you are you are you going to double Davis? You probably kind of have to. But then you're singling up Hargrave, and he's going to be a playmaker. If you're going to double on Hargrave because he's the veteran, then you're going to block Davis one on one. Good luck. Uh, okay. And and that's you know I think they've already got they've already got one guy who can give him edge rush, and that's and that's obviously Reddick. Um, Brandon Graham's coming back. That'll make you stronger on the other side. Uh, they still probably need another pass rusher. I agree with all that. But if you have the opportunity to get a guy that's a, that's a huge difference maker in the middle. Uh, a guy that's going to collapse the pocket, a young guy that's got that kind of future. Man, to me, he's a top 10 pick. And if you're the Eagles, that's a guy I would certainly be thinking about. I'm in. Two on five, five nine two ninety four ninety four. Your call's coming up. And Ray and I review the big HBO sensation uh, winning time. I guess they couldn't call it showtime. No, I, no, I think that's embargoed. You're not, yes. not going to name the, the uh, series after one of your competitors. Right. That's what it was. So winning time. The uh, docudrama series about the L.A. Lakers back in the day. Ray, I'll talk about that next on 94 WIP. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? It's time for What We're Watching. I'm no slouch myself. (laughs) It's in the hole. The best in current movies and TV. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. With Glenn and Ray. Say my name. Eisenberg, you're goddamn right. All right, what well, we're watching is sponsored by Guided Door and Window by any window or door. Get the second 50% off plus interest refinancing for up to 18 months. Call Guided Door and Window today at 1877-GO-GUIDA or visit com. All right, Ray. Big sensation. Everybody watching HBO's Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. Uh, I don't know how many parts it is. Eight, eight, nine, ten. part ten. ten. Yep, ten, ten. parts. Ten episodes. Well, I've only seen the first two. In fact, I checked last night and have not yet dropped episode three. Uh, I'm just going to say a couple words. I'm going to turn it over to you, and then I, I figure I'll come back. I, I find it I find it highly entertaining, occasionally comedic, fast-paced. A little too cute for its own good, certainly. Um, you know, the character's trying to break the fourth wall and, and all that. Uh, and I think they – I think it is a historical piece that – probably doesn't give a hoot about accurately reflecting uh, history. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about, just to tell people, it's about the L.A. Lakers in the Showtime era starting in 1979 uh, when the Lakers are going to be sold to Jerry Buss and draft Magic Johnson with the first pick and goes from there. I'll turn it over to you for some of your pithy thoughts. Yeah, um, i I don't like it. I, I, I really don't. Uh, I, I warned you. Yeah, part of, and I and I feel bad. I, I feel bad doing this because you know Adam McKay, who wrote it and directed it, is a local guy. I mean, he uh, he wasn't born here, but he kind of grew up here out in Malvern, and he went to Penn State, and he went to he went to my alma mater at Temple. Um, so he's got some local roots, and I but I there I just. I just don't like his style of filmmaking. I mean, I've seen his other films. Um, I saw Vice, the story of, of uh, Dick Cheney. Uh, I saw The Big Short. Uh, I haven't seen Don't Look Up, which is actually nominated for an Academy Award. Um, but he has this device, and you mentioned it, um, where, the, where the characters turn and address the audience. Uh, it's called Breaking the Fourth Wall. Uh, and sometimes it works, but... 
It works. It works better on stage than it does on film. Is the best way of putting it. Uh, and, and when I when I see it on film, I find it very distracting. I really do. And I, I thought he he used it a lot in Vice, the Dick Cheney movie. Characters were always like turning to the camera and talking, and it was just I I I, I just don't like it. And they, they they do it a lot in this. And I knew as an Adam K project that they would. And I I just find it really distracting. Um, and look, I was around that Lakers team a lot because they, you know, they were in the they and the Sixers played for the championship a whole lot during that era. So I was around all those guys. I was around Jerry Buss. I was around Jerry West. I, I was, uh, you know, I was around Pat Riley and all and all of those guys. Uh, and I, I just find the casting very problematic. I mean, John C. Riley is a good co- is is a good actor, um, but I don't see him as Jerry Buss. You know, <laughs> you, you put him in Talladega. See, I don't I, know Jerry Buss. I've never met Jerry Buss. Yeah. So I can't reflect on that. I, the and I don't even mean to stop you here. I, I I find him very fun and he's the best part of the thing to me, to be honest with you. But it's because I don't know what Jerry Buss was. Yeah. I mean, I know who he was, but I never I never saw him. I don't know how inaccurate it is. Yeah, I guess the fact that I was kind of around it and I was kind of around those people makes me. I find the casting very problematic. Um, I mean, they make Jerry they make John they make Jerry Buss seem like a clown. Uh, oh, I, I see, and I, I have a bigger problem with how they portray somebody else. Well, Jerry West. Yes. Yeah. Jerry West is in this thing. This nasty, depressive, alcoholic, uh, just miserable, s profane sob, completely temperamentally unsuited to do anything. Right. Uh, and and um. It may be the truth. By the way, Jeff Perlman wrote this. We had Jeff Perlman as a guest on the show, I think, with his USFL book. Maybe. Yeah, and his USFL book, which is called uh, Football for a Buck, is, yeah. is very good. I, re- yeah. I highly recommend it. It's a great book about the USFL. Right. So he wrote the book on which this is based, which was called Showtime. And I, I'm I'm guessing that it's accurate that Jerry West didn't want him to draft Magic Johnson because he thought he was too tall to be the guy who brought the ball up the court. Um, and that's all fine and well, but that doesn't mean that Jerry West was just this, you know, horrible, nasty guy who literally in episode two curls up in the corner in his underwear, unable to function. Right. I imagine he's not happy. They portray Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as just a first-class jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, again, I never met Jabbar. He he may well be, but geez, I mean, little little texture here. Yeah, uh, and you got... You know, Adrian Brody as Pat Riley. I mean, <laughs> Adrian Brody as Pat Riley, really? Well, I, I, I haven't I, seen that yet. I haven't seen him yet. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just... Um, they got some I, good, it, by the way, Sally Field, Michael Chiklis, they do have some good names in there. How would you like to be Sally Field at this point in your career where you're playing John C. Riley's mother? Mother. <laughs> you <know? laughs> hey, you know, you're working, man. You're working. But I, I will say this. I think one of the things that does do well uh, is, is it kind of captures the vibe of the 80s. You know that uh, kind of the sex and sizzle and the bad yeah. clothes and all of that kind of stuff. A lot of that. You like um, the, the grainy way they? Do no, it? I guess it's okay. No, I, was gonna I ask don't. You that. I don't because they cut because the, they cut in and out of that. Uh, you know that eight millimeter f- film stock. Right. Uh, and they go from that to live action and back to the. And I find it. This, it looks like an editing mistake. I, I know it's. I know it's a device. Yeah. that they're trying to use, but to me it doesn't work. To me, it's very all jarring. I, jumpy I find, handheld cameras. I all find it. Time. I find it very jarring. Yeah, it's very. It's it's a little. It's trying way too hard for that. I think. Yeah, you know what? Uh, you know what? One of my other thing problems is there. There are these monologues that Adam McKay has written, uh, and some and some of them are just so overwrought. 
You know, oh, and, the John C. Riley comparing basketball to sex. Yeah, if there's seen, if there's lying two in bed th- with that big-breasted naked woman. Right. If there's two things that I didn't hear me any be- of the words. I if, just- if there's two things that make me believe in God, it's sex and basketball. I I think that. Come on. I mean, really. I mean, I mean, you know, you know what I think he's trying to do here, McKay. I think he's trying to be Ron Shelton. I mean, he's he's trying to come uh, up with those lines that Shelton wrote. You know, for Kevin Costner in Bull Durham. Yeah. I mean, he's he's trying to go for that kind of thing, but it's not nearly as good. Yeah, I will say this, and I agree with everything you said, and I think that it is probably it it is a rather vicious attack on on a lot of those people, and I don't really trust the accuracy of it with Jerry West and with Jerry Buss and so on. But right, it is highly entertaining. It's popcorn, um, is what it is. It's you know, it. We, we, you and I talk about popcorn movies. It's it's. You can just sit there and let it wash over you, and it's kind of fun. There is such a thing as a popcorn movie, and I enjoy them as much as the next guy. I think I'm probably a little too close to this story mm-hmm. to enjoy it at the same level that you would. Um, but listen, people are watching it. The ratings yeah. are good, and and most of the critics, uh, and I and I read a lot of the reviews of the critics, critics like it. You know, like movie critics, TV critics, entertainment critics, they like it. Um, you know, I mean, the, 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 so much of the gratuitous stuff, the profanity, the nudity, all that kind of stuff, I guess that plays. Um, to me, it's, it's just not a very good representation. I will say, I, you said you thought that, that Riley is the best thing, uh, and I think Riley is, is good as Riley. I don't know that he's good as Buss. I think a Quincy Isaiah, the young actor who I had never yeah, seen before. Never saw him before. Who plays who plays Magic Johnson. I think he's the best thing. I he's think good. he's pretty good. He's got the smile and the personality. Yeah, he's, he's, he, he gets it. One other thing I discovered, because I was looking at the cast, and, and I always find this cool, uh, the character of Norm Nixon. And there's a good scene early in it where the Lakers are going to draft Magic Johnson, and he goes to a party. Bus brings him to a party out in Hollywood, and there's a basketball court there. I guess it's Donald Sterling's house is where it is. Mm-hmm. And Norm Nixon gets Magic Johnson on the court and just abuses him and schools him. I thought that was that was a good scene, uh, and maybe accurate. I don't know, but I looked it up afterward, and Norm Nixon in the movie is played by the actual Norm Nixon's it's son. Norm Nixon's son. Yeah, I yeah. didn't. I did not know that till I read about it. Right. Yeah. Cool. It is cool. Anyway. All right. So I give this a yes with reservations. I'm not going to tell you that it's accurate or even good, but. It's kind of fun, and I'm good, and I'm going to watch it. All right, I'm thumbs down. You're out. Are you out after two episodes? Yeah, I pretty much am. Okay, I may one, if I stumble upon it one night and I have anything better to do, I might watch it a little bit more. But I'm not rushing back to see it. Uh, one other thing I know you wanted to bring up is a rather distinguished actor passed away this week. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite actors, William Hurt, passed away uh, tragically at a young age. He's only 71, died of prostate cancer, um, and I think he's. I just found him a very arresting actor. I just found him very interesting on camera. He's one of those kinds of guys that when he's on the screen, you kind of can't take your eyes off him. Uh, Oscar winner for uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman, in which he was great. Um, he did he did Hamlet on stage. I mean, he's a very versatile actor, and he's done nominated for four Academy Awards. Uh, I remember him, obviously, from the movie Body Heat, where he was on Great with movie. Turner. Oh, man, I don't know how many people have seen that movie. I mean, it's, it's more than, it's whatever, 40 years old or so. It's 40 years old now. Yeah, but oh, young Kathleen Turner, when she was smoke. Yeah, she was she was as hot as it gets. And he, That's a and, great and movie. He, and he kind of plays this dim-witted attorney that she kind of manipulates into killing her husband. And yeah. It's really, it's really a good movie. And then Broadcast News, which I think probably more people saw, where he plays sort of this vacant, um, on-camera TV anchorman that just uh, reads off the teleprompter. But he's got the look and he's got the voice and he becomes a superstar. 
uh, but is never real comfortable with his stardom. I think he really captured that part very well in a really good film. But to show you what a good actor he is, a movie that you and I both liked, which was History of Violence, uh, he plays the brother of Viggo Mortensen. Uh, he got nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor when he really had one scene. You know, this, this it, was scene, the, it was on the screen for 10 minutes. Yeah, the scene when Viggo Mortensen comes to see him back in Philadelphia, interestingly enough, and he's the mobster brother. Uh, he, he's on the screen. You, you said it, 10 minutes. 10 minutes of airtime, 10 minutes of screen time, and it was so good and so powerful that he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I don't, think I, anybody's, I don't think anybody's ever been nominated for an Academy Award with less screen time than William Hurt was, but he had that ability. So I was real sorry to see that he had passed at age 71. Can I just tell you, I thought he was terrible in that movie. Oh, I thought And I know he was nominated, and I liked that movie. When uh, George Anastasia and I wrote The Ultimate Book of Gangster Movies, we ranked that movie very high. I just thought he chewed the scenery in that movie. Oh, he did. He did, but, well, it was, but, yeah. it was, but it was written that way. <laughs> well, I know, but I, I thought it was, I, I thought he was terrible. But, but I, he was a great actor. By the way, Big Chill, he was, uh, he was very good in that too. Uh, Again, he always he played the same kind of guy. He played yeah. the guy that you know, very handsome. You know, the women all liked him, but you know, it was not the brightest guy in the world. He, he played that role very well. Yeah, yeah, he he was all that. All right, let's talk to Adam, Aaron, excuse me, in Norristown. Hello, Aaron. Yeah, good. How you guys doing this morning? All right. Good. Good. Hey, first of all, I want to talk about Claude Giroux and then also a little bit about the Eagles. Um, you had talked to an earlier caller about that he had some moments. I mean, I'm just, you know, he had a nice career here, but he had two careers here. He had a career pre-captain and post-captain. And, you know, that's, I'll never forget that series against the Penguins when we were pretty much equal with them, went to six games, and he was invisible. He had a chance there in 2020 against the Canadians and the Islanders. I mean, in, in that series, and then in the series against the Capitals in 2016 as captain, I, as a Flyers fan, fears I'm used to deep runs that are, you know, that are spearheaded by the captains like Primo, like Richards, like Poulin, you know, you know, even go back to Clark, obviously, you know, and mm-hmm. he just turtled up in, in playoff series when he was captain, and that's and and they can only get what they got for him because he's 34 and he's not a top 100 player in the league anymore, scoring wise. Um. Okay. I, I think, I, I, Aaron, I think you're being a little hard on him. I mean, no, it's factual, right? I mean, the stats I gave were factual. He, he is, he is 100th in the NHL in scoring. Well, he's he also, yeah, he's but, also got nobody to play with. Yeah, you're, exactly. I mean, you're comparing but, what what the cap, what the captain did in other playoff runs with you know, those other guys played with much better teams than he did. No, no, no. He they finished two points behind the Penguins. He they went into that series with a goalie who had won nine of his last ten, and Brian Elliott. They in their last game, game six at home. They were up seven to four. He was a minor. You're making two different arguments. You're making the argument that he hasn't played well in the playoffs, and I'm agreeing with you. And you're making the argument that he stinks now. He's and and no, I don't Ray, think he stinks now. He's just at the end of a good career. I don't. Think well, he stinks now. Oh, okay. I think he may have more than you. Maybe, but okay, we'll see. Well, okay, if I can make my second point, right? I wanted to ask you a question about a couple of free agents that are still available um, that I think could help the Eagles, and uh, and then one last point. But what do you think of uh, J. Ron Curse? Uh, as as a potential free agent or Terrell Edmonds to help our safety position, which could be better than anybody that might be available at our point in the draft. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you there. Um, I think they still they brought back they're bringing back Victor Harris, uh, who played here last year. I, you know, if they if they had let him walk, it wouldn't have broken my heart. Yeah, um, it, that sort of tells me that they might be not be bringing back McLeod. I, I kind of thought they would bring back one of them. Um, but yeah, I mean Edmonds, you know, Edmonds is a good player. Uh, I, I just don't know. It might be, you know, that might be a more. It might be a money situation. I mean, he might be. He might be shopping for more money than they're prepared to offer. 
I definitely thought they needed an upgrade at the safety position. I was a little I was a little surprised that they brought back Harris, but the guys that you mentioned, I think, yeah, would they have been upgrades? I agree with you. I think they would. Can I hold on to my Tyron Matthew dream, at least uh, for now? Sure, go right ahead. I mean, would you? He's 30. Right. The other guys you're mentioning, uh, Edmonds is 25, right? So right. who's the other guy you mentioned? Um, I'm trying to remember who was who was the other guy you mentioned. I mean, you say Ronnie Harrison, maybe. I'm not sure who he said. But anyway, Tyron Matthews is 30, but he's, as we say, he's a guy who makes plays, which they don't have. Yeah, and he's, uh, he's a dynamic kind of player. Oh, yes. Jerron uh, Curse. Okay. Jeron Curse for who, right. who played, for, played for Dallas. Dallas yeah. Right, yeah. And and a good player. Um mm-hmm. I, I like Edmonds. At twenty five, I think he's just going to continue to get better. Um listen, Honey Badger is um I had my doubts about him coming out of college because he comes with a certain amount of baggage. But there's no question he could play. Uh and he was a huge difference maker with Chiefs. I mean when he went to the Chiefs, he was kind of the leader and the rallying point on that defense. And he can still do that for you. Uh and even at thirty, I think he can still play. It looks like he's still got some game left. I just think it's a, I just think it's a money thing with him. I think he's looking for more money than the Eagles are in a position we'll to see. offer. Yeah, we'll but if, if listen, if, if they were to bring if they were to bring him in, yeah, I, I'm I'm on board. Hey Ray, before we go to break, but uh, at noon, uh, Todd Zalecki is going to join us from MLB.com. We have got to talk some Phillies with their dynamic new lineup. Uh, but before we go to break, Ray, let's say I want to go to theater sometime next month, and I really don't want to go up all the way to New York. You got any thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to go all the way to New York. All you, you just have to go as far as New Hope. Lovely New Hope, that beautiful arts community, which is always lovely in the month of April. Um, we are bringing Tommy and me back uh, for a sixth year. Uh, and this and this time we are going to the uh, Bucks County Playhouse in, uh, in New Hope. And uh, we're going to be opening on April the 7th. And we're going to be playing through Easter Sunday on the 17th. Ten performances uh, at, the, at the really beautiful Bucks County Playhouse, a place with a lot of history and Sits right there in the Delaware River, just a beautiful place, and I'm excited as can be to bring Tommy's story to the same stage where Grace Kelly has performed and George C. Scott and Robert Redford. I mean, some great Eli Wallach. I mean, some great people have performed on that stage, and we get to bring Tommy and me there uh, next month. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, April 7th through the 17th, um, go online to Bucks County Playhouse, order your tickets now. We got great group of talkback hosts that are going to do the Q&As after the show. You are doing the first Saturday night. Yeah, I think it's looking forward to that. April the 9th, you'll be there doing the, the 8 o'clock show. So, uh, and Harold Carmichael is helping us open the show on April 7th, Sweet. opening night. Yeah, the talkback host that night will be none other than um, the guy who uh, broke most of Tommy McDonald's receiving records with the Eagles and is now himself a Pro Football Hall of Famer. He will be there on opening night Thursday, April the 7th. So April the 7th through the 17th, Bucks County Playhouse, Tommy and me, please come out and see us. Very nice. 215-592-9494. Best caller of the day gets a $50 gift card to Shibe Sports at noon. Todd Zalecki will talk some baseball. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Ray Danger, Glenn Mack now 94 WIP. Uh, Kevin in South Jersey joins us. Hello, Kevin. Hey. How you doing, Glenn? How you doing, Ray? Hello, Kevin. Hey, um, uh, hey I'm the guy that uh, did that picture of uh, Roy uh, Diedinger. Oh. Two weeks ago. Oh yeah, somebody, a couple people sent that to me. I sent it to you. Oh, and and some other people did too. Okay. It, 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 yes. it, 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 it got fairly wide distribution. Actually. I thought it was hysterical, and uh, Ray apparently it was. There were mixed reviews in your house. Uh, yeah, my wife was not thrilled with it. Yeah, that was the thing I wanted to, you know, apologize in that sense. Oh, no, 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 apo- was- no, 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 no apologies <laughs> necessary. I was actually kind of flattered 
That's uh, uh-huh. that somebody that somebody kind of brought uh, brought Roy to life. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, he was a little grotesque, but um, I mean that sort of suits the personality. I th- oh, yeah. I actually thought it was kind of a fit, Kevin. It was just my wife. I think my wife just has this awful vision of maybe waking up one morning and actually finding Roy on the pillow <laughs> next to her. looking over. So, for well, people who don't know, let me just let me just uh, give the background. I think ninety percent of our audience probably gets it. Every once in a while, and it's not often, a caller will get under Ray's skin, or something locally will get Ray angry. And this different personality comes out. It's a very quiet, smoldering anger. And I, I years ago started to refer referring to it as your evil twin, Roy Didinger. And Kevin did our work. Kevin, if you send it to me again, I'll I'll post it again because okay. I'm sorry, maybe Maria doesn't want me to. I but even it, did a. Uh, but but it, it was a, it's, it's like a, a it's like a Delco version of of Ray. Well, you are Delco mm-hmm. with like the earring and a little tattoo. And, and go, go ahead, Kevin. I'd rather you explain it. No, I was going to say I did a uh, updated version from the initial one that oh. Dave sent you, where I added uh, sunglasses and the uh, neck tattoo. <laughs> I think I think Dave might have sent that one to you, but uh, oh, I think yeah, we need you know. I think I, I think you need to send it to me again. I think you're yeah. hey, you're a terrific artist, by the way. That you really no, did a nice job. We've, of it. we've we've met before, you know. I'm I'm the guy that you know did all those Eagles cartoons and the um, oh yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah 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 yeah. I yeah. didn't catch the name. You are a very talented man. Yeah yeah yeah. We've we've met a few times. So mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it was just like one of those things where you know I have the app. While I'm just watching the Sixers game and I mess around and do stuff like that just for fun. I mean, no, you're very good, Ray. Would yeah. you uh, would you perhaps like to make a larger version so you can frame it and hang it at home? Uh, no, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. But I, I I definitely saw it's sort of like the Ray Diddy thing. You know, when they when, uh-huh. when, when, when they first hung me with the Ray Diddy thing when the emailer when the uh, emailer called into the uh, Eagles post game show and referred to mm-hmm. me as Ray Diddy and. Um, and Michael Barkan read it, and Vaughn Hebron thought it was the funniest thing ever, as did the governor, actually. And I, I, all of a sudden, I kind of became Ray Diddy. And initially, I wasn't crazy about it, but I saw the, uh, I saw the humor in it. I saw what they were going for. Similar with your picture. I, I kind of get what you're going for, and I kind of get a laugh out of it. Hey, Glenn, well, you have a screenplay you can do with that. You know, it's like a Jekyll oh, yeah. and Hyde oh, thing. Yeah, listen, Ray is you big know. enough that he understands <laughs> that, you know, every once in a while. Yeah, yeah he accidentally... Uh, Reaches for his uh, diet soda, but accidentally grabs your IPA. Oh yeah, and, you know. Well, no, this Ray, this, this, Roy didn't. I'm imagining drinks rot gut. That would be my, <laughs> that would be my that would be my thought. Kevin, it's great stuff. Send me another copy, would you? Yeah, definitely. All right, okay. thanks. Nice work. I love- yeah, I go, think. Ray. Yeah, I think Roy is probably out there riding through Center City on an all-terrain vehicle right now, up on the back wheels and just terrorizing the neighbors. That's kind of how I see him. The neck tattoo, oh, yeah. the neck tattoo I thought was a really lovely touch. Was- <laughs> yeah, you're good about it. You are very good about it. Uh, listen, listen if, I can Don- do, if I can do one thing, I can laugh yeah, at myself. On. If I can yes, do one you, thing, I can laugh at myself. You absolutely, you, and it's one of the reasons I think you have sustained so well in the market uh, and people regard you in such high esteem, which is... You can you you gotta you're you're not high and mighty no and that's and I and I think we all appreciate that. Uh, Don and Franconi wants to talk some Phillies. Let's do it, Don. Hey, good afternoon or good morning, whichever it is. Hi, Don. Yeah. Uh, hello, Glenn and Ray. Uh, it's my uh, pleasure to be able to speak with you. Thank you. Uh, I got a little concern about the Phillies going into the season, especially with the moves they've made, which are uh, very good moves offensively. But uh, I'm afraid they 
they have a proclivity to make errors of both commission and omission on balls that are going to be put in play by the opposition. And uh, the games are going to be high scoring. So you better prepare if you go to the game to spend some extra time because uh, the games are going to be exciting right to the last out. <laughs> They're going to be long, that's for sure. Um, no, uh, we talked about this yesterday with, um, a, a lot about the team that they're building now. There's no question, especially with DH coming in, they got a they got a they got a roster full of DHs, and um, they're gonna it's gonna be a potent lineup, and it's not gonna be fun to pitch to them. They're gonna score a lot of runs, but I, you know, Don, I share your concern about defense. I mean, they were a bad defensive team last year, and to me, they haven't done anything to get better. And one other thing about the DH. Uh, the way the team is constructed, 162 games isn't enough for the. They, they need more games to to put more <laughs> of these players on in the defense uh, DH position. To yes. be honest with you. Yes, and thanks, Ray. You can't say that the Phillies have not prepared for the DH. No, they, they got that part down. They got like six guys that are basically they DHs. Absolutely, they certainly do. But the only uh, problem is you're going to have to, five of them are going to have to wear gloves and go out in the field this year. Well, you know what? We're going to talk to Todd Zalecki about that coming up. Maybe he views it differently. Maybe he sees some gold glovers out there that we're missing. Right? I hope so. 215-592-9494. Yep, Todd's coming up. Ray and Glenn, 94 WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. Sunday morning, 94 WIP. Delighted to be joined now by our friend Todd Zalecki, MLB.com. Follow him on Twitter at Todd Zalecki. Easy enough. Uh, Todd, I hope you're enjoying uh, Florida. I hope the weather is working out nicely for you. Yeah, the weather is perfect today. It's probably in the 80s, sunny, great great day for spring training. So have you yet talked to general manager Bryce Harper about what he plans as his next move? <laughs> no, I, I have not. I have not, but certainly he he got kind of what he wanted and then some. You know, he I remember talking to him on Monday, the first day of camp, of course, he said that he was hoping to get one of those three guys and Chris Bryant, Nick Castellanos, and Kyle Schwarber. They get, they get Kyle Schwarber, and he says, well, I hope we're not done. I believe him, though, when he says I, I wasn't thinking about, you know, another big move. Uh, but mm-hmm. the Phillies kind of had to change your heart with the luxury tax, and, and now I got two of those three guys, which is pretty pretty incredible, pretty hard to believe. So b- before we talk about the specific moves, let let me ask you, and I, and I know that Marcus Hayes wrote a, a column about this this week, um, and I said it kind of jokingly, but seriously, how much power does Harper wield within the organization? He signed a what about what ten year, three hundred million dollar contract. I don't remember the specifics, but something along that nature mm-hmm. to come here and obviously didn't do it to finish eighty two and eighty every year. Does right. John Middleton, Dave Dombrowski, do they listen to him when he kind of lobbies for this? You know, I he certainly has some sway, but I don't think it's enough. For him, I, I think it's too much to suggest that you know he calls up Dave and John Middleton and says, "All right, you got Schwarber, you got to go out and get Nick Castellanos as well." I, I, I think he's in their ear, like, "Here's what I think we need. Um, here's what I think we should do. Here's what I think can help us win." Uh, but in terms of like making the final decisions, you know, uh, it, it's not a matter of Bryce going, "Get me Kyle Schwarber over these other two guys." Okay, Bryce, we'll go out and get Kyle Schwarber. Um, you know, it's not, it's not to that level, but certainly when he comes out publicly and talks about it, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. He's very smart. He knows that people listen to him and he, you know, he knows that 
you can create some pressure that way, but it's not so much pressure that they're just bowing down and going, okay, oh, boy, we were going to kind of pass on these three dudes. So, uh, But now Bryce said something, so now he's got to go out and do something. It's not quite to that level. <laughs> you know, we, um, we spent a lot of time, Glenn and I, yesterday talking about um, – the fact that, and it's sort of joking, but only half joking about the fact that, boy, the Phillies are certainly preparing for the, the era of the DH to come to the <laughs> NHL, to come to the National League, uh, because they got a roster loaded with DHs. But the problem is, at some point, they got to take the field and they got to catch the ball. Um, how do you see? Because to me, their defense was Todd last year. Their defense was just atrocious. It, it, sure. it, it really was. And one of the things I thought about this offseason is, okay, I, I know they need to get more bat support for Harper. They need more protection from the lineup. I agree with all that. Um, but they got to get better defensively. And to this point, I just I just don't see it. And I mean, are they planning to just win every game fifteen to thirteen this year? I think that's absolutely the plan uh, to outslug everybody because yeah their defense has not improved you know they hired a new infield coach they brought that bobby dickerson who's very highly regarded but there's only so much an infield coach can do you know coach can't can't improve your range so to speak um so they're they kind of are who they are you know schwarber castellanos they're they're ranked rated as is below average defenders in the outfield so I think what the Phillies are hoping on, and kind of what they believe is, in today's game, good or bad, uh, it's it's a lot of strikeouts, swing and miss, and and walks, right? And so they're kind of going in that mindset of, you know, there's not as many balls in play anymore, so maybe we can hide it a little bit. They're not going to be able to hide it that much because I still think you're, you know, they're still going to be a bottom third team defensively, which is going to show up at really bad times, of course. Um, so they are going to have to out-hit the other team, out-hit their defensive shortcomings. They are hoping that, starting pitching-wise, they have enough talent there to keep them in games, and, and they are hoping that some of the upgrades that they made to the bullpen will help them be a little bit better in, in late in the game. Todd Zalecki is our guest, uh, beat writer, Phillies beat writer for MLB.com. Follow him on Twitter at Todd Zalecki. Um, I think like a lot of people in Philadelphia, I was very disappointed uh, to learn early this week that they decided, hey, let's get back with the Odubel Herrera thing in center field. Um, I don't like him as a player. I mean, I'm, you know, everybody knows of his history off the field, but I've always thought he was a bonehead on the field, and th- this is the best they can go back to. I understand that they spent the money elsewhere, but, right. I mean, seriously, another year of Odubel <laughs> Herrera? Yeah, I, you know, I think that was a situation where they looked at upgrades in the outfield. Um, they they were, were interested in Kevin Kiermaier from the Rays, but at his price point and with what the Rays wanted back, they decided that, you know what, this really doesn't make as much sense to us. I, I think more, so they ended up going a cheaper route with Odubel rather than spending a little bit of money. The, the free agent options in center field weren't that great. Um, what, what I thought was interesting more than anything, perhaps, is that they came out the first day of camp, Dave Dombrowski, and, says, and said, we love Matt Veerling. Yeah. We think he's going to get a ton of playing time. Hope so. I, I did not. I did not see that. But if he develops like they think he, de- he can develop, you know, maybe it's a situation where Dubal really doesn't see the field that much. But in terms of you know, another reason why I think that they brought him back, I think the coaching staff really 
like the fact that Odubo behind the scenes, he was playing on two bad ankles last year, and he would mm. kind of try to fight to play in games. And, hey, you know, sometimes the coaching staff falls in love with a player like that uh, that wants to play through pain, wants to play through injuries. And so I think that helps his cause in terms of uh, their willingness to bring him back. Yeah, you. I'll just Europe. We've seen him long enough. We, we've seen yeah. him a lot more years than Joe Girardi. Are you, do you think there's something there that we're missing? No, no, I, I, I don't. I think, I think what they, I think the only thing you can maybe hang your hat on this year is that you know he did not play any games in the big league since May 2019 until last season, and that maybe getting that whole season back, maybe he can be a little bit more productive. Um, the one thing I have told people is, you know, if Odubel Herrera is your number nine hitter and he hits like he hit last season, then you've probably got a pretty good lineup. So that yeah, I, that's, I hate him in the field. Well, yeah, no, the defense. Yeah, Veerling's and well, I, I've asked Joe Girardi, like you know, can Matt Veerling play center field? And he says, Yeah, I think he can. He's a big guy, but I think he can run better than people think. Uh, so yeah, defensively, it, it's an issue. They don't have a guy out there that can really run down ball. Now, one guy I would say. Maybe late this season, if he makes adjustments as the plate, is this top one of their top prospects, Johan Rojas. He can flat out run down the fly ball. He can run. He can put the bat on the ball. He's a little bit too. He chases a little bit too many pitches out of strike zone. But I think if he can make those adjustments this season, it's not totally out of the question that you could see him up uh, later this year. I was thinking the same thing uh, because it looks to me like they're going to have plenty of offense. You know, I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're going. They got a lot of guys in the lineup that can hit, and they're going to score. They might be able to carry. I mean, I, I think Rojas is is probably a ways away from being ready to play in the major leagues offensively. Defensively, there's no. no everyone agrees that he's a, he's going to be a really good defensive player. Right. You know, this might be one of those situations where you're going to have so much power and so much run production at other positions that maybe you can afford to carry uh, a, a guy to play center field who's really out there purely for his defense. I mean, that, that's a possibility. The, the Rojas kid, he has an interesting, an interesting backstory. I mean, he came out of a part of, of the Dominican that hardly anybody knows or scouts, uh, was sort of lightly recruited, and all of a sudden the Phillies bring him in. And right now he's considered among baseball people to be one of the faster risers in the organization. Yeah, and he's a guy that a lot of teams really covet. You know, anytime there's a trade uh, discussion with another team, that team's like, well, how about Johan Rojas? So, I mean, I think that kind of makes the Phillies feel validated in their evaluations of him. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, um, so say this season in double-A, triple-A, wherever he starts, and he makes the necessary adjustments, he's hitting the ball pretty well, and the defense, the Phillies' defense is really killing him, uh, maybe he comes up and he can just – kind of help out that defense a little bit. And again, like I always go back to, um, you know, and if he's hitting ninth and he's, he's, he's hitting like 230, but he's catching everything as a rookie, that's not the worst thing in the world. I always remember in 2008, uh, Carlos Ruiz, if you look at Carlos Ruiz's numbers in 2008, he was not a good hitter. Mm-hmm. And I remember everybody killing Charlie Manuel going, uh, call up Lou Morrison, Carlos Ruiz, he's thinking. Charlie said the best. He's like, guys, if we're, our biggest problem is our number nine hitter. <laughs> You know, this is not the reason why we are or are not going to make the playoffs. Like, Chooch is fine in the ninth spot, and ultimately he was proved correct. Right. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, Ray, you you talk about Rojas as one prospect, and this is a a franchise that has has had a tough time developing prospects. The one everybody's watching is Bryson Stott, the young shortstop. Um, Tell us he's the one. 
Well, he could be at some point out. I personally think that Didi Gregorius is going to open the season as the, everyday, as the opening day shortstop. And I say that because he, he, well, first of all, he's got $14 million left on his contract, and it's, it's tough just to eat that contract. Yeah, I mean, yeah, get to the good point. I know, yeah. I know sometimes fans hate to hear that. They're like, well, I don't care. It matters. If a guy's getting made $14 million, it definitely matters. Um, Joe Girardi has talked about his track record. Um, Didi says he was not healthy last year. The Philly says he was not healthy last year. They believe that he is healthy now, and that should help him uh, produce at the plate. I think the most likely scenario is Didi starts the season at shortstop unless something crazy happens this spring. And if Didi plays well, great. He's the shortstop this season. If Didi struggles and Bryson Stott is playing the well in, in AAA, then maybe he gets a look in you know mid-May, mid-June along that time. But I think they will give Didi a shot to kind of either win the position or play himself out of the position. But I do like Stott a lot. Um, he really kind of came on as a hitter last season, and a lot of people question, can he play shortstop? I think he can play shortstop well enough um, to, to, to hold that job down for the Phillies for a while. Yeah, well, in that infield, he'll look like a gold glove anyway. I mean, just <laughs> just with what's playing on either side of him. But, uh, you know, Dave Dombrowski, I think, sort of made a few jaws drop during his presser last week when he talked about Zach Wheeler uh, and the fact that, um, you know, he used the term tired arm. Um, look, 213 innings is no joke. I mean, and he pitched that last year, and there are some questions being asked about, you know, was he pitching too much, and was there going to be a carryover effect? You know, and now there was the idea that he started to throw the ball in the winter, and he was starting to – he just didn't feel right. Um, right. And, you know, I mean, Dave didn't want to make a big deal out of it, um, and Joe hasn't wanted to make a big deal out of it. But we've all been through this in spring training before, where they tell you, oh, you're a race pitcher, it's not a big deal, don't worry. But – Sometimes it becomes a big problem. Where do you stand on this? How concerned are you? Well, I, I, concerned enough to, to certainly keep a close eye on it this spring. So, so Zach threw a bullpen session, his first bullpen session of the spring, I think on Monday, and he then he, he missed some days with the flu this week. Uh, but he did throw a bullpen session this morning. I watched it. It was a 35-pitch bullpen session. And, you know, at no point was he kind of grabbing his shoulders, no indication that he was cutting it short. He walked off the mound. He told us that he feels fine, um, that he still feels no sh- uh, short, uh, soreness in his shoulder. So he said his, his next couple steps are one more bullpen session in a few days, a live batting pra- practice session a few days after that, and then he hopes to get in a grapefruit game. And he still believes that, you know, he can be ready to pitch the first week of the season. I think opening day is out of the question. Uh, but maybe that first turn through the rotation. And, and he said, he's like, listen, I would rather pitch, if I can only go four innings, I'm only built up to go four innings, I'd rather pitch those four innings for the Phillies than sure. for the Clearwater Threshers or a minor league team. So we'll see what happens. But, but any, yeah, any time a, a, a pitcher mentions a shoulder soreness, it's something that you absolutely have to keep an eye on. So Aaron Nola will get the opening day start, and God, please no more of those 0-2 count moonshots. Like he, did, he did yesterday. You it's got like, one yesterday. I know. It's yeah. like it's like oh, we're back to last year. Uh, last one for me, Todd. Give me your opening day batting order. Oh boy. Okay, I, I've thought a lot about this. Um, I'm going to say Kyle Schwarber is your leadoff hitter on opening mm-hmm. day. He did a great, tremendous job last season with the Nats and the Red Sox in that spot. I'm going to say JT Realmuto is hitting second, Harper third, Nick Castellanos fourth, Reese Hoskins fifth, Didi Gregorius to kind of break up, give a little more balance. He hits sixth, 
Gene Segura seventh, Alec Bohm eighth, and then Matt Veerling is your opening day center fielder uh, hitting ninth. Right, that lineup's going to score six runs a game, right? Yeah, it is. And, um, and <laughs> that's <laughs> and give them up. Yeah, no question. No, no question. Is uh, is there any thought? I I I know Castellanos has played some third base in the past, and you know, not long and probably not that well. But I mean, is, is there any? I mean, Bohm, Todd Bohm, he can't play third base. He just can't. He's not. He's, you know, I mean, I I guess it this seems. A, uh, Todd, this is a pet issue of race. It seems. Way. It seems. No, to, no. It seems to be. Well, you know the, the 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 name I gave he and Hoskins last year. I I called them the corner butchers. Is what well, I is what I called them. And I I think we're trending towards the same thing again. Uh, is that kind of where this where this is right now? Right now that Bohm looks like the third baseman. And is there another option out there anywhere? Well, Bohm looks like the third baseman. I, I will say this. I, Bobby Dickerson is a really good infield coach, so they hope they can make him a little bit better. Um, but I thought it was interesting that the Phillies told Didi Gregorius at the end of the season, be prepared to play some third base. So in the, in the instance, or the situ, if the situation presents itself where Alex is really struggling at third base again, and Bryson's playing well and Didi's playing well, maybe you see Didi Gregorius play some third base. But in terms of Castellanos at third, I think it's possible you could see him over there, like maybe for a game or two. But I don't think it's a situation where, you know, maybe maybe Joe Girardi will tell us in the next couple of days that that's a possibility. But I, I think it's more likely that he's a corner outfielder DH type along with Kyle Schwarber. Okay. Todd Zalecki, it is always a pleasure. Uh, always enjoy reading you, talking uh, with you, and uh, hope to see you at the ballpark this year, huh? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. <laughs> all right, man. Be well. All, all Thanks, right, guys. Todd. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, Alec Boom. Jeez. <laughs> you, know, you, know, I, you know what? I never thought I would see a third baseman worse than Corbin Burnson, but I think, but I think, but I think we got him. <laughs> uh, I, I love when you get going on that. I, oh. Uh, and that, by the way, it was one of the great nicknames of all time when you did that with with he and Hoskins at first. It was great. <laughs> I can't, but I can't believe here we are a year later and we're looking at the same thing again. I know, I know. I'm just, hey man, I'm excited. It's, it's baseball's coming. Yeah, I mean the DH thing is going to give them an out. I mean, worst comes to worst, they'll just DH him or they'll put him at first base. Well, and but you Hoskins said Castellanos, who's uh, he was, he was really bad at third base. I, I don't know who's what, worse. This guy's good. No, I, nobody's good. No, I, I don't know that it. I don't know that you have a viable alternative. That's the problem. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if listen, if 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 the kid shortstop comes up and 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 maybe he can actually be the guy, then maybe you do kick DD over to third base. I yeah, mean, that'd that be good. that that could be that could be how this whole thing shakes out. That's it. I just Wouldn't don't know. Nice? I just don't know you're going to go wire to wire with those two guys on the corner. I just yeah, don't. If you, one of the prospects comes up and actually can play. That'd be great. Be hey, we didn't get to talking about the bullpen, boy. I know. Another adventure. <laughs> That's the next phone call. Yeah, okay. Always appreciate Todd. Uh, let's get uh, Peter in media here. I believe he wants to talk about yesterday's Tell Us Your Story guest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Coach Dunphy. And i got to give you guys a ton of credit, too, because um, I, I used to work for Coach Dunphy at Penn uh, from 98 to 2000, so just a couple of years, I, although I had known him for many years before that and worked at camp. And a bunch of my buddies were, were contacting me. I was already listening to you, but they were like, hey, hey, Coach Dumpy's come on, Coach this. I said, I know, I know, I'm listening. Um, but I want to tell you two quick stories uh, that, that touch on uh, some of the topics he covered. So at one, so my role, and I was basically the office administrator, and I, I used to do uh, scheduling uh, as part of my r- responsibilities. And so we get this fax from Duke University that they wanted to, to, to play us. 
And essentially the offer was that we would play down at the, it wasn't the Spectrum where maybe it was Core States or, I, I don't remember what it was named at that point, but it was the stadium down there was not the Palestra. Uh, we were going to split the gate. We were going to just play one one time. It was, it was all these different circumstances, which, which I guess Coach Dumpy didn't like. So I, I, I bring the facts to him. I said, I said, I said Coach Dumpy, you know, the Duke wants to, wants to play. I said, I, I'm kind of excited. I'm like, all right, this, mm-hmm. this is good. This is what Penn does. You know, we, we don't just play. You know, uh, you know, weekly in schools, we, we go after the big guys. <laughs> Dump looks at the, the facts, and he, he and, I, and I knew he was teammates with Coach Shevsky at, at Army. He looks at reads it over, and he says, uh, and "I'll clean it up for you guys." But he said, uh, "Listen, uh, <clears throat> tell Mike to go f himself." And I was in shock because this is Mike Shevsky, you yeah. know, national winning coach and, and Olympic assistant. And all this, I'm like, uh, Coach, I can't sit it. He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell him that. Tell him that." And he said, you know, playing down at the at the at the the core states is a home game for them. You know, we're going to play a home and home, not just one time. We're not yeah. we're not just you know, next. And his whole point was, look, we might be a small school, but don't treat me like I'm small. And nice. I thought that was that, that to me was such a great lesson. That was that was pure classic dump to, to have that attitude. Like you know, I'm I'm no lesser than anybody else. I like it, that's, um, that's Pete. Really I got I got to hit a break, but I appreciate that story. That's really good. Yeah, that's really good. It sounds it sounds very much it sounds very much like Dump. I thought it was a really good interview. I, you know, the Big Five means a lot to me. I kind of grew up with it, and Dump that. represents everything. I mean, he was a, he was a great player. People don't underestimate people underestimate what a good player he was. And then he goes on to win more games as a coach than anybody in the history of the Big Five. He's uh, he's a big part of this. He's a big part of the sports culture of this city for sure. Hey Ray, how about um, today NCAA? Uh, I think it's – I'm just looking for time. Yeah, 2.40 start, Nova versus Ohio State, right? Right. right. Winner – I know I know where you're going Plays Michigan, Michigan and Phil Martelli. I thought – I was looking at that, and I thought, how cool is this? That yes. if, if Villanova wins today, if they beat the Buckeyes, then the next game in the tournament will be <laughs> Phil Martelli against – Against Jay Wright, right? We, we don't care about Juwan Howard. Never no, mind. no, 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 no. We don't, we're not going to worry about him. But Villanova, Michigan, that would be. I was looking at that. I was looking at the brackets. And I thought, how cool would that be if that turned out to be? And you know what? I think it will. It's gonna. Oh yeah, Phil getting a lot of camera time too. Yeah, I mean, listen, he did a really good job. I mean, when, uh, he, when he did when yeah, he, he stepped in and coached uh, those like that. They they won all of those games. It helped him get into the postseason. I texted him a congratulations yesterday. He got right back to me. He's very excited about it. He, he likes he likes these kids. He likes that program. He's he's. He's away from home, which he's not delighted about. Right. But I think he being having the opportunity to coat to be part of that program with everything that it has, uh, after all the years, you know, hey, listen, did a great job at St. Joe's. St. Joe's a small program. I think he kind of enjoys the the luxuries they didn't didn't have back then. No question. And when Howard got suspended, they didn't have to look far for the guy that was going to take no. over. I mean, was, Phil stepped yeah. in there and and they won some big games. They won a couple of big games on the road. I mean, yep. he Phil can coach. Phil yes, can really can. coach. Yep. 215-592-9494. I see we got a couple of people want to talk about Eagles draft. We'll do that and uh yeah, I want to get into the Deshaun Watson thing with you a little bit, Ray. I regard you as an arbiter of moral behavior. So, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I want to see what you think about the Cleveland Browns and what they have done. We can talk about that. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now. It is uh, Sunday. By the way, we're leading you right up to Phillies baseball in a little bit, right here on 94 WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. Let's get to Ed in Warminster. He's got some Eagles draft talk. What's going on, Ed? 
How you doing, Glenn? All right. Anyway, uh, real quick, I, I see a lot of people leaving the draft department of the Eagles. Is that a reflection of of uh, Happy Howie, or is that just common in the in the uh, football business world? It's pretty common. Uh, it doesn't. It you know a lot of people don't know the names of the underlings in personnel departments. They know the general manager. Obviously, know the coaches, but the guys who work oh, under uh, the scouts and uh, and those kinds of guys, the area scouts, and you know, most people don't know the, those names, and those guys tend to move around a lot. They look for the better opportunities, okay. you know. And I think that uh, the Eagles have had some guys that have come in and worked in that department and worked as assistants in the general manager thing and moved on to other teams. Uh, and I think sometimes it you gauge your situation, and I think the guys that are here that are. You know, they've got a title of an assistant general manager or personnel director, but they're looking above them, and, there's, and they're trying to see if there's going to be much movement above them with an opportunity for them to move up and become a right. GM. And I think the feeling of these guys kind of is, Howie's not going anywhere. And, you know, right. I mean, he's, you know, Jeffrey loves him. Uh, he's been here a long time. He just signed another three-year extension. And I think so if you're a young guy in there and you're looking to move to some place where you might have the opportunity to be in that big chair, you probably think you got a better shot at it somewhere else than you do right here. Yeah, that's for sure. And one other thing is we missed out on a William Hurt movie. Jeffrey Lurie movie. Love You to Death with Keanu Reeves. Oh, gosh. He was in Remember there? that part? He played the hippie guy with the drugs. and <laughs> It was an awesome part. He was, uh, he was awesome. Yeah, I, you know what's so funny? I, I, and I vaguely remember the movie. Thanks, Ed. I appreciate it. Which was kind of our introduction to Jeffrey Lurie. Remember, Ray? I think that movie came out right around when he bought the team. Uh, right. Yeah, I remember that. Well, there were th- three Jeffrey. Right? There was Sweetheart's Dance. With Don Johnson, and then there was "I Love You to Death." I remember. It's funny, Jason. I remember. I, I remember Kevin. I remember Kevin Klein being in that. Uh, and then yeah, there I don't was, remember William Hurt being in that. I'm not sure he was. Okay. Uh, I remember Kevin Klein for sure. And then of no, course he was he, in that. He was most. You can talk most. Yes, he, he, was he in plays that. Harlan James, according to Google. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah, and then then of course there was Vi Warshawski. So that I remember. <laughs> Yes, Rhea Hughes, by the way, said that William Hurt was very good in in the in the uh, series Goliath, which I forgot about. Which yes, he was very he was a very good actor. He was very also good. in uh, in AI, artificial intelligence. That movie, he was, yeah, he, yeah, was, yeah. he was in that. I mean, you yeah, know, he, it was a good he movie. Had, he, he had quite a in. career. He was in a movie. Moshe, you on? Um, do me a favor, Moshe. If you if you're on IMDb or whatever, look up a movie. I think it was called Smoke, which was just a really small movie set in a cigar store. Like not much happens, but it was just really well acted and very well written. And he was in that. And I remember it's like one of those good little movies that's worth watching. From so uh, let me know if you find it. Five, it looks like. Yeah, who uh, else Brooklyn was in? Somebody else was in who was the good. center of neighborhood activity and the stories of its customers. Yeah, yeah. Who else is in that? Harvey Keitel, William yes. Hurt, Giancarlo That's it. Esposito. No, it's our, yeah, and Giancarlo Esposito is a really good actor, too. Ray, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've not movie. seen that one. If you ever stumble upon it, if I give you Harvey Keitel, William Hurt, and Giancarlo Esposito... I got you already. That, right? That's pretty good. Yeah, okay. That's pretty good. Oh, by the way, I would just uh, wanted to mention, uh, I, saw, I saw this in passing, and it's worth mentioning. Um, the Philadelphia Film Institute is going to, um, is going to play... All of the films that are being nominated for Best Picture this year at the Philadelphia Film Institute over the course of this week. Mm. So, and if you're uh, if you haven't seen many of the movies that are up for not up for the award, and I haven't seen hardly any of them, uh, they're going to be available at the Philadelphia Film Institute okay. in Center City. What is the one that I told you you should see? 
Uh, Coda. Yes. Please see that movie, Ray. Yeah. That's a terrific movie. Again, it's a little movie, but terrific. Yeah. Uh, well, you told me about it, and then I went and read about it, and uh, everybody seems to share your opinion, and it's really, really good. Yes, but if you don't watch it, then that does me no good. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> Please go watch it. Okay. I want I got. We got to get into this, the, the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson thing, because not only did they sign him to a $230 million all-guaranteed contract, which to me is, is shameful, and they should be embarrassed about it, um, but... Uh, I learned this yesterday following Joe Banner on Twitter, Ray, something that you don't get to do because you're not on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And Joe wrote, the worst part of what the Browns did wasn't even signing Watson, but agreeing to a contract that helps him mitigate or even avoid virtually any financial consequences from the NFL. What does that, who does that with 22 accusations still out there? I don't agree with signing him, but this is much worse. Essentially what they did is, the theory is that he's going to probably get suspended six games, being what most people expect, something in that range. Yeah, that six was six was what I came up with. Yeah, you said you said you thought four could be. I mean, I don't know. I think they'll start at six and do it with, then lower it to four. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Whatever. If I were if I were to guess, I would guess six. But he's going to get something. Whatever they do, the Browns con made a contract that said, "Here's what we'll do: we'll make it a minimum contract in 2022." And we'll put all the guaranteed money in future years, so he's not even going to lose anything. No. The, listen, I, you know, for me to say the NFL and pro sports is hypocritical is is silly because we so, all know it. Sort of stating all, the obvious, yeah. right? We're all part of that hypocrisy, as they said in The Godfather, right? Mm -hmm. But there have to be some limits on this thing. If you're a Cleveland Browns fan, can you abide by this? Some will, some won't. Um, you know, you I mean, look. It's at, over the line to me. Well, me too. Um, but you have to understand. You have to understand what the Cleveland, where the Cleveland fans are coming from. Yeah. Um, they, you know, the Cleveland Browns have never been to a Super Bowl. I know. Not only have I they know, never won amazing. one, they've never been to one. I know. And it's uh, you know, and the Cleveland Browns are a team with a storied history. Two different franchises bearing the same name, but that's another point. But the fact is that. We get to the point that teams are really kind of about the fans and the generation and the hand-it-down of the tradition and all that stuff. Well, the Cleveland Browns, the people in Cleveland go all the way back to Paul Brown, and they go all the way back to Otto Graham. And they used to win championships back in the day, but they haven't done that in the Super Bowl era. And they've been through a million coaches and a million quarterbacks, and they haven't gotten there. And they feel like they have a team right now uh, that's good enough to make a serious run at it if they have the right quarterback. And this was the best guy that was available, and they sold their soul to get there, you know. Uh, so there are probably some people in the in the in the dog pound that don't care a whit. You know, they're just saying, "Hey, we got Deshaun Watson, we got a chance to win the whole thing," which they do. But there are probably some other people out there that are going to say, "You know what? No, I'm out. I can't do this." And I, we went through it here in Philadelphia when the Eagles signed Mike Vick. I mean, there were a lot of people, and, mm -hmm. and, I, and I, believe me, yeah, I, and I, I was, I was with you, and I, and I heard from them because my wife and I were so active in the dog community. You know, we're we're well known as being people that are into dog rescue and 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 therapy dog treatment and all that kind of stuff. So I heard from a lot of those people who were who were our friends in dog rescue, and when the Eagles signed Mike, and they were big Eagles fans. I mean, tailgaters, face paint, the whole thing, and they said, "We're done. We're out." 
you know, we we used to be Eagles fans. We used to build our whole our whole Sunday around Eagles football. No more. Yeah. You know, but bringing this, bringing this guy in, oh, and and some of them never came back. Okay. Um, and I get it. There is there's a difference here, however, in that Mike Vick did time and atoned and genuinely seemed. I mean, I wasn't sold at first, but over time, and I don't, I don't particularly love Mike Vick, but I certainly can ar- not argue with the fact that he he walked the walk. Yes, he did. And, and, and he, I, I, and I was I was probably his most vocal critic at the mm-hmm. time, uh, and 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 unabashedly, I had no problem telling people what I thought about the signing of Mike Vick. I hated it. I didn't want him here in Philadelphia. Um, I thought that it put a lot of fans in a tough spot where they kind of had to choose between their team or what they felt was right. Uh, And I didn't like any part of it, but I will give Mike Vick credit. I mean, he came here and he said he was going to, he was going to become an activist for, for, for animals. He did. Uh, He said he wasn't, he was going to change his life. And I believe he did. And that was true during his time in his football career. Certainly true his time in Philadelphia. And as far as I as far as I know, it's true today. Yeah. Now I understand also in Watson's case, it's more difficult for him to kind of you know say I did this horrible thing because he's got all these lawsuits pending. So he kind of has to be in the don't say anything. But he hadn't atoned. He hadn't done anything to show that you know he recognizes his own misconduct. And I understand that they weren't. They decided not to press charges. That doesn't mean that he didn't do horrible things. I read a lot of that stuff. It's pretty disgusting. Right. And in the end, that he's able to pick his team and write his own contract, and they agree to a contract that says, we'll figure out a way that you don't get financially punished by the league. We'll do a go-around. It's disgusting. It really is disgusting. It's It's... Listen, I'm a lifer in the NFL, and I'm going to stay a lifer, and I'm not telling anybody I'm going to stop watching games. I, when people say that, I, I virtually never believe it, And but it's it's horrible. And I will root it. I, the Browns were always a team I kind of rooted for a little bit because of what you said. You know, it would be nice for those fans if they ever made it. Yeah, I love the Cleveland fans. They're, yeah. They remind yeah, me a lot of what? the Philadelphia fans. I know. I'm never rooting. I'm, I am not rooting for the Browns. At the, Who cares? doesn't matter to anybody. But I just find it despicable. Yeah, um, I'm with you. But, I mean, I've been around this game long enough and around the NFL long enough and uh, that I understand that talent trumps everything, uh, and, uh, and in- including good judgment. And people will, when you get a player like this and you got a team that's desperate to win, they'll do what they have to do. And, you know, they're going to say the right things, and Deshaun Watson will say all the right things. Uh, but what it came down to was for the Browns, they saw an opportunity to get a good player, and Deshaun Watson saw the opportunity to make a lot of money, and that's what it came down to. It sure did. 215-592-9494. We can get a few calls in before Ray and I get out of here. Uh, Phillies baseball coming up today. Nice. From Florida. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Let's get Ken and Paoli up here. Hello, Ken. How you doing? All right. So, um, about Deshaun Watson, so a little just, uh, dismayed to hear somebody say, you know, what he's done is, you know, just horrible, uh, you know, horrible behavior and, you know, disgusting and so on and so forth. So from actions that you read someplace, let me ask you a question. And so maybe I'll be wrong. Have you read the defenses, um, positions, depositions? I've read some of it. 
Uh, and here, here's what I think. The, Ken, defense, the, defense, the defense's position. Ken, when there's, when there's 22 uh, women separately telling the same story, I kind of believe it. I kind of believe the weight of it. Well, since, number one, no indictments. Right? That's number one. Now, I don't know if this guy's actually guilty or not guilty, and I'm not here to say whether it is or whether it's not. So, I but do what are you saying? Well, I do know in that industry, and I've been you know, a victim of that myself, female and, and male uh, misogynists uh, that have, uh, let's just say, uh, inadvertently done things that they shouldn't do or so yeah. on. So, I, I don't think it happens 22 times, Ken. I no. just, I'm not buying it. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. If it no. was one, if it was two, you, you might have me. Yeah, uh, 22 different women all telling the same story. Uh, and, don't, you know, and don't forget, I mean, everybody says, he's, oh, he's in the clear now. No, he's not. I mean, no, he's not. I mean, they can, you can, re, you, you can bring those charges back to another grand jury for as, for as long as, until the statute of limitations runs out, which is a long time, that can be reintroduced. I mean, Jeopardy doesn't apply to grand juries. Okay, so this can be, now I think it's unlikely that they would do that again, but that, that possibility still exists. Yeah. Okay, George in Downingtown is with us. Hey, George. Hey, what's going on, Gray? And Hi, George. Hey, I've got a couple of things to talk about. One, I think the Eagles did a, 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 the right thing by, by standing pat. And two, uh, uh, Wilson gave the Eagles the answer that I needed him, that they weren't ready, they weren't a player away, and he gave them, he gave them that answer by not coming. And, 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 I, and I'm sick and tired of all this, this controversy, change for change. And I want to know about a player uh, from um, Oklahoma State, Rodriguez, a linebacker, ran a hell of a time. I don't know if you know anything about him. Hello? Uh, yeah, yeah I'm, no, I'm here. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, um, he's, not on my, he's not on my first three rounds. Um, okay. I, I mean, I, I think that he'll, you know, he'll probably find his way in th- into the draft, but, I mean, he's not. To me, when I was looking at guys, I was looking at guys who were, to me, projected as, as top 50 players, and, and he was not part of that. Ray, 1978 was yeah. the year they drafted Jerry Robinson. I have that right. 79. 70. I'm sorry. I don't want to, don't want to cheat him by a year. So 1979. Quick math says was 43 years ago. Possible, Ray, that that streak could end this year, and with three first round picks, one of them could be a linebacker. You could certainly justify it. Now uh, they'll tell you. I kind of think it's un- I kind of think it's unlikely, All right. but they'll but they'll tell you, hey, come on, we signed Hassan Reddick. You know, we signed a yeah. linebacker. Okay. So, right. and we're going to use our we're going to use our picks in other areas. And look, I get that. I mean, if yeah, if yeah. you if you get a defensive tackle, you get a defensive end, and you get a corner, uh, and those are all areas where I think they could use it upgrade. I'm not going to quarrel with that. But I mean, if you have the opportunity to, I mean, the top two guys to me are Devin Lloyd uh, from Utah and uh, Nicobe Dean from Georgia mm-hmm. are the two best. And, uh, you know, f- up until now, well, up until the Combine, uh, Devin Lloyd, everybody was grading him higher uh, than Jacoby Dean, co- largely because of the size. I mean, he's 6'3", Jacoby Dean is just barely six feet, if that. Um, but the trouble was at the Combine, Devin, Flo- Devin Lloyd disappointed. Um, he didn't run as fast as they thought he would. He didn't test as fast as, as didn't test as well as they thought he would. Great. So there, um, there's been, a, there's a little bit of, a, there's been a little bit of a back off on him. Um, and now he's still going to be a first round pick, but he may not be as high 
as he would have been before. And people now may be taking a second look at N'Kobe Dean, who if I had the choice between the two, and I think they can both play. I think that, I think if Lloyd is a good enough player, he'll play in the NFL. But in my view, if I were making a pick, I would go for Dean because I just think he's a more impactful player. He's just a more instinctive player. Uh, right. And he he has the qualities that I kind of am looking for in a, in, a, in a linebacker. Last caller of the day, John from Villanova. Hello, John. Hey, guys. How you doing? Great show right. as always. Thanks, John. Uh, by the way, Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day all coming up and a fine time to buy Ray's book for anybody that lives within 100 miles of here. It's a great, great read for any sports fan anywhere. I love it. All right, What's the name that, of that John? book, fellas? <laughs> Finished Business. Yeah. There you go. And I hope it's not your last, right? Ray, how much you pay this? Um, Thank you, John. Ray, I saw you at Carl's cards, and you autographed them all for me. Thank you, Ray. My pleasure. Um, uh, I have a weird question for you. It just bothers me. Well, two things. One, follow-up on the linebacker. On the Eagles' website, it says that Marcus Smith was a linebacker. I want to forget all about him. I don't count him. I'd rather go back to Jerry Robinson. But in uh, in these trades, like the Deshaun Watson. So they give three ones, a two, and a three. What? Why Why does a, the Cleveland have to give a fifth-round pick? Or, excuse me, the Texans have to give a pick back. It always seems odd to me. Cleveland's loading up the uh, you know wheelbarrow, but they always get like a, a non-essential pick on the other side. <laughs> is, it, is it a cap reason? What is it? I, I don't know. I mean, to me it seemed kind they of want silly. A body. They want a body back. They they just they don't want to have no picks. Okay. A sixth round, a, a fifth round pick is not much, but it's just something. Yeah, I always just see my gives, it gives them somebody to pick is essentially what it is. They you don't want to go into the draft with you know whatever three picks, four picks. So just give us a late one back so we have a pick. That that makes as good a sense as any. Thanks, guys. I there you, you go. Know. All right, John. Thank you for checking in. Moshe Kravitz is here to tell us who is our caller of the day. I think we got to go back to the start of the show and go with Lou and Mount Laurel. He was our first caller. He called in to talk about uh, the trade of Claude Giroux, and he was, you know, well spoken and and hit all the right notes. And uh, we got to say goodbye to Claude Giroux. So I Lou will not argue wins. with you. I will not argue. Uh, Lou in Mount Laurel wins a fifty dollar gift card to Shy Vintage Sports, where there is a story in every stitch. Check them out. Their throwback apparel. At their center city location or shibesports.com. By the way, Ray, we talked about the vet being imploded. They have a piece of the vet at their place on uh, in center city. So yeah, people can go and see that. All right, what's going on with Ray Dinger for the rest of the day? Uh, I'm going to go home and probably do a little more draft preparation here. I need to go through. I need to. I've got rounds one, two, three figured out. I got to go to four, five, and six. All right, and if people want to see your play, I, real quickly. Uh, Tommy and me is coming to the Bucks County Playhouse. How Correct. do they get? When is the run? Uh, April the seventh through the seventeenth. It's Bucks County Playhouse in New Hope. And if you're interested in tickets, and I hope that you are, you can contact the uh, Bucks. Go go online to the Bucks County Playhouse, and you'll see the icon, the Tommy and me icon. You can click on that and order your tickets. And I think people should come April 9th because that's when I'm coming out to do the uh, uh, the talk. That back, would be which... good. April 9th, come out and see Glenn MacDowd at 8 p.m. Or you can come on opening night and see Harold Carmichael. That's not a bad one either. All right, my plan, Ray, is to sit down and watch a little NCAA basketball this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
villain. No, get to see those Wildcats against the Buckeyes. Yeah, it's been a great tournament so far. It's always a great tournament. It really, it really is something great. Anyway, uh, I do want to thank Moshe Kravitz, terrific job of producing today. Thanks to Todd Zalecki for coming on and joining us, and thanks to everybody who contributed by calling or listening. Ray and I will be back next Saturday for more of this mayhem and mischief. Phillies baseball coming up from Florida. Spring training baseball. Scott Fransky. Not sure who he's with today, but it'll be good. It'll be Larry you Anderson. Can, there, Larry, L.A. I'm in right here on 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.